Gucci flip flops. Fuck it, hit your bitch in massage. This a big watch. Diamonds dripping off of the clock. Two to six out. Winter time, dropping the top. Stand episode 249 so we're edging closer to that 250 landmark 50s 250 so uh, i'm carl riley and we have three guests on today all with an iceland team so we're going to have a fan of our champions league opponents breda blick uh, we have the man who kept a clean sheet for robbers in Reykjavik back in 1982 and we have the man who scored the winning goal in the same city when we played Starnan. In 2017, there's also questions in the East End. Our podcast quiz: Gary O'Neill versus Sean Cavanagh. The last 16 is underway, and young Harry Moore, he will be our special guest quiz master. So, uh, Gary, my normal co-host, is still in Turkey, getting the teeth done or the hair done or whatever else. So I'm still flying solo. Uh, Dan Fulham with me last week, and I don't necessarily have a co-host this week. I have three different guests, but one of them is in studio with me right now. So I'm not alone, it's former Hoops keeper, uh, Robbers legend, Alan O'Neill. So welcome, Alan. Thanks a million, Carl. Nice to be with you again. Always a privilege. I believe you're the only ex-footballer to step in both Johnny Blue's bar and the lair. So Johnny Blue's bar is the place you were in before, down the road. And this is known as the lair. So I think you're the first to step in both, so quite quite the honour. It's going on my CV, Carl. You needn't (laughs) worry, it'll go on it. Your third time on the show... Uh, three if you include the the tribute you did for or sorry four if you include the tribute for Big Deck uh, the first one back in 2018 you talked through your career uh, the 1940 title 20, 2005 so check out that episode if you want to hear the whole the whole shebang of Alan O'Neill uh, it's well worth a listen um, so like I said Gar's not here today but you would have met him in Crumman five years ago you remember our microphone broke i do i do i remember the whole setup but still you just got through it yeah the same microphone since <laughs> that one was replaced actually so that one broke after a year but the replacement has lasted us five years so <laughs> fingers crossed yeah so like i said it was dan last week and uh al you were you were familiar with the story you haven't heard his interview yet but you remember the whole the absolutely the incredible yeah. Uh, stuff that went on last year when Dan was detained in Bulgaria I mean I can only imagine reading it again and thinking about it again it was only, I can only imagine it was his absolute worst nightmare probably a totally surreal experience is this really happening to me and then all of a sudden the shock to realise it is 
And then as a parent myself, I know what I know what must have been going on with his parents at home, his mother and father, up the walls. But thankfully he had a happy ending. But uh, I'd say he definitely put that one down to experience. That was some experience in his life. It'll be in his book, I bet you that. Yeah, some people sent in uh, responses to the interview. Fedham said an incredible tale from Dan. Uh, Sean Fields said, I was putting him through all the trauma again, like a shell-shocked Vietnam veteran. Uh, there was also uh, one from Instagram, Stuart. He said, Dan is a top lad. Me and my young son were in Razgrad for the Ludogorets match in Bulgaria. It was our first European game following Robbers. At Dublin Airport, Dan came over and introduced himself and told us to come over and sit with the other Robbers fans travelling to Bucharest that night, which was a nice touch. Aside from Razgrad, I met him and the consular official in Bucharest Airport on the Thursday night, and I was delighted to see him free after his shocking ordeal. So keep up the great work, lads. Uh, Kevin McGowan, what a fantastic story from Dan. I knew about it already, but to hear the details of it himself was mental, a really top hoop. And I think it, it, it was a testament to how well loved Dan is. That I mean, if it had been any Irish person, I'm sure it would have been a fuss would have been kicked up. But mm. you throw in the robbers community and you throw in Dan, how he's a top guy. It was a frenzy for three days. Absolutely, I can, I can only imagine. I, I, one of your comments there was shock, and that's all it must have been for him. Total mm. and utter shock. I've read some of the stories about and read some of the stories about Dan. I don't know Dan personally, but by all accounts, he's a, a top, top lad. Uh, to happen to him, I mean, I mean, it's just incredible, incredible. Thankfully, he came through it all, but definitely one of life's experiences for him, one he will never, ever forget. And we'll go down in the annals of his family and pass down from generation to generation, I'm sure. But as you say, the Rovers crew and the Rovers clan definitely helped to get it noticed, to get it out there. And I, I know the Department of Foreign Affairs were also involved. So yeah. thankfully, it, everyone pulling together got it through, got him past the line. But gee, shocking, unbelievable. It was incredible. I, I was coming home from, uh, coming home on a flight a few weeks ago and uh, the passport control, the woman there, gave me a second look, which I took me aback because normally I'm just, sent straight through no issue and only occurred to me i was wearing a cap which i almost never do i almost never wear a cap i was like oh yeah and then it made me think of dan that's just a harmless moment yeah, but it yeah. made me think imagine having to fight for your identity to prove that it's you for three days as dan said in the show very simply said it's me i'm me it's me yeah, in the yeah. photo but no incredible and I promise to stop talking about it now because Dan himself said he's sick of talking about it. <laughs> he says if anyone asks him about it, he's just going to say, 248, episode 248. Just listen to that. So, yeah, 2-0 defeated in the dock. So, myself and Gary Shaw are going to review that game a little bit. Well, we're not going to spend too long talking about it because it was a brutal match. But uh, we're gonna go through it a little bit. But Al, uh, you didn't get to see it yourself, but you were you were quite surprised yeah. by the result. Yeah, in some ways, yes. I, I mean, I'd seen the previous two games. I'd seen the Bowles Rovers game on telly, which was a, a brilliant, brilliant game, brilliant advertisement for League of Ireland football. Rovers looked to have the game sewn up at two 0 First half didn't do very much, but when they went two 0 up, couldn't see any other result but a but a hoops win, and Bowles somehow dug it out. And then saw them against Derry, um, got the goal in the first half. 
didn't do a whole lot in the second half, consolidated, gave nothing away, kind of played the game out. But the, the result up in Dundalk, Dundalk are fighting for their lives at this stage. Um, it was always going to be a tough game. And I just wonder, is that hunger? When you're, Like going for a four in a row, these lads, most of them, have all done it before. They don't have that same absolute hunger that life depends on every tackle, every pass. They will win the league, I have no doubt. They are the best team by a mile. They have the best players. But sometimes that little bit of extra hunger, like if you're chasing it for the first time or even for the second time, you'll do anything you possibly can. Maybe that little bit extra is missing. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you could say the same in the Bowes match, like for the last half hour. Was that little bit of extra missing? I don't know. Against Dirty. Comfortable, dirty, huffed and puffed, never looked like scoring. Hmm. Very comfortable. But then it's worrying. And if you look back over the last couple of weeks, the defeats, I mean, at home to Drogheda, uh, away to, what was the following away game? Down in Cork, two hmm. defeats. It's just the manner well, of the Down defeats. to eight men in that game, in fairness. Exactly. But yeah. even the fact to go down to eight men, you leave yourself open. Hmm. I know there's huge controversy over the sendings off, but I saw the tackles. You're giving referees decisions mm. to make, you know. You don't do that. But I only said that none of the three were red cards. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, it is controversial. But what I would say is each of the tackles gave the referee something, a decision to make. And if you gave, give a referee a decision to make, and go with it and go against you. Mm. Three to go against you is, yeah, it's, it's, mm. it's a huge one. But I still can't see anyone touching Rovers in the league. They are the best team. They have the best players by a mile, the best squad. And when you see who they bring on, no, mm. there's only one team can win it. Or there's only one team can lose it. But I can't see it happening. Rovers will win it again. We had a lot of injuries, obviously, in the dark match. So that combined with the pitch, which we have struggled on. We went up there and won 4 nil earlier in the season. Exactly. But we were missing a lot of players, so I'm not going to put too much look too much into this result. And I think that yeah. the, the game, the the, the game, uh, the hoops won four 0 There was a few a few question marks uh, at that stage. I think the first five games, six games, hadn't won a game, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there, there was the question was questions were beginning to be asked, and they stood up and were counted that day. Mm-hmm. And it's just that little extra bit of hunger. But as I say. There's only going to be one team winning the league this year, and that'll be Rovers again. They will emulate that great 80s team, the four-in-a-row team, Pat Bourne's team. Absolutely. Well, you're wondering, is the hunger there? Is that not where the hunger is to to match that achievement? There, Obviously, the four-in-a-row has been talked about so much. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to yeah, equal it. So. Yeah, absolutely. But it's that there's a different type of hunger. <laughs> different type of hunger. When you're going for the first time, everything... There's only one thing that matters. When yeah. you've done a two and you've done a three, you start to believe there, there becomes a sense of entitlement nearly. We'll win it. You know, we'll win the four in a row. We have the best team. We have the best players. But mm. you've got that. You've got still got to get out there and do your bread and butter stuff. We have that. I mean, Rovers have all the top players. Those who can pass, can hold the ball up, can run. Loads of skill. The Jack Bournes, the Rory Gaffney's up front. But you always need that added little bit of extra, that little bit of extra desire, want, need. I still can't, as I say, they'll win it. So just a couple of bits of things before we uh, move on here. Uh, Sam Curtis, who uh, is just 17 of St. Pat's, has gone off to Feyenoord. So the reason I bring up Sam is because 
Uh, three years ago, he became the youngest ever League of Ireland player at the ages of 14 when he played for Rovers in 2020 First Division. And then there was something uh, last week where Mason Melia, also mm, Pats, he became the League of Ireland's youngest ever top flight goal scorer. 15 years, 276 days. I'm not sure how people verify these things because I don't know. We don't have date of birth from the 20s and 30s, but I'll, <laughs> I'll roll with it. And but the League of Ireland record is actually still uh, held by Kevin Zeffi, who was 15 years, 206 days, and of course he went off to Milan. So and so I'm trying to tie this in here. Al uh, Gavin Bazunu was just 16 when he played against AIK in Sweden in the 2018 Europa League, and he broke a record for Rovers' youngest ever European player. Do you remember who it was? He was 18. Richie Bailey, was it? I think he was 16, wasn't he? Who was? Gavin uh, was? Well, Gavin was 16. Was Bailey... Si- he was, Richie he was, was older. Yeah, he was older than Gavin. But I think he was around the same age. Yeah, around 16, age, yeah. yeah no. So that was held for 40 years until Gavin was who brought that record. So it was Richie Bailey, was it? It was Richie Bailey, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um... Just on Gavin, I suppose it's been amazing to watch him from making that impact at that age for Rovers. Only he only played six games for us, but to go on, join Manchester City, had a, he had an iffy season, let's say at Southampton, but not a great defence in front of him, and he still uh, he's still been brilliant for Ireland. If you yeah, look back absolutely. at the Greece match; he was uh, probably our best player. Yeah, absolutely. No, he's he's done remarkably well. To make your debut at 16 as a goalkeeper, I remember seeing him. He did play underage for Ireland as well. But um, the way he has progressed, done well, he got in. Was it Alan? Um, Alan Manis was injured. He got in, played 10, 12 games, never let Rovers down at all. Then Alan got back in and then he got his move to City, which was, I mean, at that age, magnificent to train at that level. And you know to be to mix him be mixing with the top players that he was at Manchester City at seventeen and eighteen, huge development. But then he saw the writing was on the wall. I'm not getting in here. I've no hope of getting in here. With Al- um, I always mix Liverpool and it's Allison plays for for Liverpool. Liverpool yeah. and um, what's the city keeper's name? Edison. Edison plays for. See, I always mix the two. Uh, he wasn't getting in with Edison. You know, he knew that. that I mean, mm-hmm. the future was Edison for the next four or five years. Moved and was absolutely 100% right to do as he did. Because I would similarly look at Cuevin Kelleher. Cuevin Kelleher was around, around the same age. Maybe Cuevin slightly, maybe a year older. Again, had his development at Liverpool. But now for me, has stagnated for the last two, three years. If you look at the amount of first team games Gavin has played in two seasons probably heading towards 100 whereas Cuevin has probably played 15 to 20 like that's development he needs that's where Gavin has pushed on ahead of Cuevin and you can see it he's first choice with the international team he's doing exceptionally well as you said he had a bit of a ropey season last year with with, with Southampton Um, it's uh, a ropey defence certainly lot of pressure always on him because they were under the cosh all the time he's bound to make mistakes and as a young lad sometimes they can get to you although he seems quite unflappable to me on the box mm. um 
hopefully now he'll be reinstated as number one and will push on again. And sometimes too, after a season or two, when you're playing first first um, team football, he played with Portsmouth the previous season. There's mm. a dip. There's a dip always. We we used to always we we know that League of Ireland when lads that um, come in second season we'd call it the second season syndrome they turn it on for the first season and then the second season would be a dip and something similar might have happened with Gavin but I would fully expect I mean he has everything his hands his physique his presence and his confidence good talker I mean he's Mm. he has a a magnificent career ahead of him so um, he's done really really well I think what, what, what amazed me and a lot of people was his temperament at just 16 it almost seems like it takes goalkeepers a number of years to develop that sort of temperament where he just came in and had it straight away, which took people uh, aback, but it was incredible to see. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, to come into a side at 16 years of age, what have you done? Like, you've done nothing. You might have played a few. <laughs> you played for Ireland underage level, but it compares nothing with playing in top league of Ireland club. Um, it just doesn't compare. And also you're playing with seasoned players, players who have played, uh, some of them at international level, and here you are coming in and you're on a par with them. And to have the confidence in yourself, in your own ability to do as he did, speaks volumes for him. I think he played away in Cove in uh, under 17s match in front of 50 people on a Sunday. And then a few weeks later, he played in a 50,000-seater stadium in Sweden. And he just played the same way. He looked like the exact same person. Didn't bother him. So we, we, we've known this all along yeah, about him, yeah, that he yeah. can handle this. Absolutely. There was a, a great thing on post on Twitter there called the Boot Room. So the artwork has been painted on uh, Roadstone. It's Ronan, Gavin Bazunu, Anya O'Gorman. Great photo of them holding their boots. So the Boot Room is an internal club initiative. So the first team players have passed on over 30 pairs of boots. Gavin himself has donated uh, 5,000 euros worth of boots. So this is a great initiative. Inspired by Michelle McPhail, actually, the wife of uh, Stephen Stephen. McPhail. So the academy players will learn the value of minding their boots and it can assist parents and young players with the cost of paying for boots as well. So really good initiative. Absolutely, a great initiative. I'm putting money back in. Like It's great to see Gavin putting something back into the league that made him, that launched him doesn't forget and i get that from him all the time you um you see is he goes down to tell us watches matches when he's at yeah. home still a huge interest in the league of ireland knows where he's come from knows his roots and you know a top top lad great initiative though um i suppose it's part of the greening and whiting of the the environment is it that's a pun carl a pun. <laughs> <laughs> but a great initiative i mean yeah absolutely we i remember as a kid we used to have a, a t- um thing called dubbing that you always rubbed onto your boots every week uh, you'd clean them after the game and you put dubbing on uh, to keep the leather pliable and all the rest but great I mean that's way back in the day it's a great initiative mm. and it shows the value too the value of looking after things it's like the greening it is the greening of uh, football it's, it's part of it um, but yeah great initiative and fair juice to Gavin and for Steve McPhail's wife, Michelle, isn't it? Michelle. Who, with, with her idea. Brilliant. We interviewed uh, Richie Brush there, another goalkeeper, a few weeks back. And he was famous for, for wearing his Puma Kings. He got a bit of a uh, stick over that. What, what boots did you wear? <laughs> Puma Kings were very popular. The other ones were Adidas <laughs> 2000. But I like the Puma. There was Puma Spa King, I think they were called as well. Um, but the Pumas, I liked the Pumas growing up. Yeah, I did. 
the, it became Adidas then, the Adidas 2000 they were. Then I think the World Cup took over. But yeah, you remember your boots, absolutely. And from boots to gloves, uh, your your message for Big Deck when we did the In Memoriam uh, was one of the, one of the loveliest uh, stories I've, I've ever heard in the podcast, that you left your gloves to Big Deck after you retired. Uh, it was fantastic. <laughs> I know, Deck was a great, great character. I always remember him from the first time I met him the first season I was playing in Gold for Rovers and that was going back to 1975, 76. Uh, a lifelong Rover. Rovers was his life. Like Rovers was his life. I know there's a term, if you cut me, what colour would me blood be? Well, Dex's blood was green, green and white. No two ways about it. Great loss and great, great character. But there was only one person get my gloves when I finished <laughs> because they meant so much to him and Rovers meant so much to him. Yeah, yeah he'll never be forgotten, Big Deck. Yeah, you made him a promise and you kept it. Um, so the Icelandic club uh, won 5-0 against Podgorica from Montenegro. We expected him to win. We didn't think it would be quite so comfortable. But then when you look at the highlights, the defending is sort of a shambles. So you're kind of wondering, are, are they good or are the Montenegrins awful? But So it's been set up anyway. Uh, Bow legs are on a Tuesday. Home next week, 7.45 kickoff. Away the following week, uh, 7.15 kickoff, which is 8.15 Irish time. So hopefully another long European campaign like last season, Al. If mm. we get through this tie, mm-hmm. it's all about winning this tie. Just before we... You're here to talk about the Iceland mainly, but just before that, uh, you would have played in some big games. Ajax with Dundalk, mm. uh, Goodison Park, everything with UCD. Like, what would stand out for you as a European highlight? I think you know UCT at, at Goodison Park was was huge because like uh, UCD there was five I think part time professionals six students now the six students we had weren't students they were top league of Ireland players played them in Tolka Park in the first leg and just to set the scene this was the Everton team that went on to win the league that year. They went on to win the competition, the European Cup Winners' Cup. Probably their best played. ever team. Would best, you say? I would say so. Yeah. Absolutely. You had Radcliffe, you had Mountfield at the back, you had Graham Sharp up front, Andy Gray played. Top, top, top Richardson, I think, played. Peter Reid played. Neville Southall. You could go on. And little old UCD is what we, we branded ourselves. and Played them in Tolka Park, full house in Tolka Park. And we drew nil all with them. Could Never conceded. And as Rovers fans will remember... We don't concede. We never conceded many, as because we had beaten the hoops in the '84 Cup final. First leg was was uh, first game was drab bore, but it was nil all, and we were always happy with a nil all, and we won the replay. But uh, the strength of that UC team was built on defence. Uh, we conceded nothing in the first leg, and in the second leg there was they had one chance. One we made one mistake defensively. We stepped up. Wrongly for an offside, got caught and they scored, and it was one 0 But that's how the game finished. That was in the first half. There's always talk that we had a chance. We ne- we nearly hit the bars. What I would say, mm. I'd say we got into their half about five times altogether. We did have a shot from about twenty five yards out. A lad called Paul Caffrey, who I think later went on to play for both, shot the ball over the bar. But that's as close we got. But. The mere, the, the performance over the two legs, the professionalism shown by all the lads uh, and to be then with Everton going on to win the trophy 
win the European Cup Winners' Cup. And when you look back on their results, the closest they came in any two-legged game was against UCD, 1-0. Everyone else, they scored far more and won by four more goals. So that was highlight. But all the European games uh, were, yeah, they were were special, you know. Um, The Icelandic game was special. Um, playing against Fram, that was special because it was different. Like to, to have a clean sheet in Europe, <laughs> so like yeah, Ajax, yeah, Red Star Belgrade's another another team we I played against. So yeah, they're all they're all on the CV and they're all you can look back, and like when you're talking to people, you'll throw in you say, well, I played in the Champions League, and suddenly you know, well, it was the European Cup back then, <laughs> but you can still say it. You can still say it. So yeah, great, great, great memories. Well, you mentioned Iceland there, so let's get into it. Um, I didn't know that uh, Rovers actually spent a week there because uh, I'd known from speaking to Robbie Gaffney that you guys flew to Glasgow and trained with Celtic. Yeah. So tell me about uh, the preparation. Yeah, yeah, we went we went to Glasgow. From what I can remember, and we're going back here now 41 years, Carl, so like the memory could sort of dims after that amount of time. But I do remember we, we, we went over to, to Celtic on the Sunday. Well, sorry, Glasgow on the Sunday. We trained uh, and then we trained at their training ground and then we had uh, a tour around Parkhead. We left for Reykjavik. There was only one, from what I can remember, there was one flight out on the Sunday. And the flight home was either the Friday or the Saturday. So it was almost a week that we were away in Iceland for... Um, I don't remember a whole lot about the game, other than we kept a clean sheet. Um, uh, the team, I do remember the lads on the team. I, I did have a look up. We had signed, this was this was actually my last season at Rovers before we moved on, before Jim McLaughlin came in in 83. So this was the 82-83 yeah. season. Giles' last season. Giles, yeah. John's last season, yeah. And there was a few signings, a few good signings made at the start of that season. Um, there was Tommy Gaynor was signed from Limerick. Tommy went on to have a career in, in uh, England with Nottingham Forest. Dennis Clark was a top midfielder was signed from Athlone. Jacko McDonough was signed from Bowes. Um, Jacko, as we all know, has had a tough 18 months. Um, and uh, I have to pay tribute to the Rovers lads, the, the Rovers supporters and everyone associated with, with Rovers last week when we had the collection in Tala for Jacko, um, over 4,000 quid was raised. The generosity. That's fantastic. It's yeah. unbelievable. And people just coming up. I mean, we, we there was 10 of us there, all ex-Rovers lads. And to see people coming up and, you know, they a lot of people put 50 quid note, notes in. And it was no bother to them, look, because he was Rovers, you know. And... Uh, it was just great to see, but the general, the outpouring of, of generosity was amazing for Jacko. So, ja- and I think that was mm. that would have been one of the first matches for Jacko, for Dennis Clark, for Tommy Yainer. Mm. Jim Beglin was also playing that night, and that would have been Jim's last season before he moved to Liverpool. Yeah. So we actually had a very very good side, very good young side. Um, Peter Eccles was playing, an old sinner, the gaff, as you say. Uh, Cambo and Bucco were still up front, so we had. But it was a very young side. I think the oldest in the team would have been Noel Sinnott. Noel would have been maybe twenty eight, twenty nine at the time. So it was a really good side, and you know you would have hoped that that side could have pushed on. Now I think at the end of the season, um, Jacko certainly stayed, but Dennis mm. and Tommy moved on. Bego was gone. I was gone. Gaff was gone. 
So look, that was that. But that's football. But I do remember over there, um, there wasn't many at the game. Uh, we won three 0 which was you know to win a, 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 in Europe was always huge. Um, because I remember the great Rovers team that four in a row. They was it that season or maybe the following season they got beaten by Ammonia from Cyprus. Yeah, the foreign row team never won a European no, match. They yeah. and you know, that, that shows you how difficult it was and as good, like I would have to say that foreign row team was an exceptional team. But you can't compare it with now with the levels of fitness and the preparation and everything that goes in. But player for player, ability-wise, I haven't seen a better team. You can have your Dundalks of a couple of years ago and even the Rovers three in a row this team. I would still, in my humble opinion, that Rovers four in a row team were exceptional. So, as I say, to win a European game was exceptional. To win a 3-0 was just unbelievable. And then to keep a clean sheet from my part, yeah, it was just great. You know, so that was dreams come true. And so, well, I won't say dreams come true. Because you would be going out there expecting, hey, we have a chance here. We have a good mm-hmm. chance here. They're similar to us. But we took our chance and we won well out there. And I do remember because we didn't go back to the Friday, there was two nights celebrating rather than the one <laughs> night, rather than the Wednesday night and up at six o'clock the following morning to, for the early flight. We actually had the Wednesday night, the Thursday night to celebrate. So we did it justice. We did it justice. But as you can see from the second leg, we didn't overdo it because <laughs> we beat them 4-0 in the second leg. Now, I'm not sure, but I think it might be one of the only teams, League of Ireland teams, to have a clean sheet over two legs. I'm not sure. I'm, I stand corrected on it. I have a feeling that recently did one to either... Do you mean dog. wins with clean sheets? Yeah. Um, I mean, in recent years, no, it has been done a few times. Has it? But Over two legs, but no the goals seven, conceded. Yeah, but the 7-0 aggregate, I think that stood as a record, record. until Derry beat it, I think. Uh, I think they beat a Welsh team. Oh, it's right. still our record European win. Aggregate win. All right. Uh, no League of Ireland club won away from home again until Shelburne in Macedonia, 2000. Okay. We didn't win a European tie again until 2003 in the Total Cup. So it was a long time after that. Yes, yeah. 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 It stood for a while then. It yeah. stood for a while. But as I say, then we, we, we won 4 0 in, in Milltown, uh, good old Milltown. Um, and that was a, it was comfortable after the first leg. Um, I think that there weren't many changes. There was a young lad came on, Gay O'Carroll. He scored for mm. us. Not probably not many people would remember Gay, but I remember him because he played with the same schoolboy team that I played with, St Malachy's and Edenmore, and pro- uh, progressed through the ranks and came up to Milton. But I think he might have been only there a season, or I mm. think he, I think he might have been gone when Jim came in '83. So uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, the memories aren't; <laughs> they're not stark. I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, as a goalkeeper, I remember when I made this save and I made a, I don't remember many, <laughs> I couldn't remember many gold mouth incidents at my end. But the main thing was, the historical thing was the 7-0 victory and to get two clean sheets in Europe. Yeah, that was a bit special. Yeah, Gary Carroll, actually, he was our youngest ever goalscorer in Europe until it was broken by Oidemo Maku. So there's another record that held for a long time but was ultimately broken. <laughs> Fair juice, Carroll. You said you flew out 6am the next morning. No, I said or the you... norm would be the norm would be on a European trip that you play the match Wednesday night at that stage and the following morning you invariably got the first flight out. Yeah. So it was generally 6 o'clock. So what I was saying there is rather than 
playing Wednesday night and leaving yeah. at six o'clock. We didn't leave till Friday. So you had the two extra Excellent. nights. Yeah, was yeah. it the same then? Where because myself and Gary went to Iceland in 2017, and two a.m. and it's still bright, bright out. Yeah, yeah, there was that. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, no snow at that, on ice at that stage. Good time of the year to to be playing out there. Great experience yeah. again. Great experience <laughs> to to go to a different country and experience their ways. So yeah, very enjoyable. We had a memory here from uh, Fan Aiden. My own experience of it was Finland. He says he fell asleep at 8pm one night and woke up at midnight, still fully bright. He thought he had wasted a day until he copped it and then he went back to the pub. (laughs) 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 But like I say, I've talked to Gaffney a few times about this and he always says the same thing. He's quoting Charlie Nichols from Celtic because Celtic had played Fran Reykjavik before so i guess they were feeding giles some info so this is my impression of robbie gaffney doing an impression <laughs> of charity nickers and that's it's like landing on the moon <laughs> so gaffney says they landed at the airport base and he oh, says yeah, he was surrounded yeah, by yeah. craters and geezers and perishing cold <laughs> and he said is this european football <laughs> <laughs> no better man to tell a story than robbie gaffney i actually roomed with robbie on that trip um, we had, we're, we're still good friends after all these years. But yeah, yeah, Gaff was a great, great player. He really was, and as you all know, loves Rovers true and true. It must have broke his heart at the end of that season, having to leave the hoops. Um, I mean, it was a big disappointment to me, huge. But to Rob, who lived just up the road from Milltown, ate, drank, and slept Rovers all his life. To, to have to leave but as you all know he certainly went back and went back with a with a plum he's now i think he's got to be the number one supporter i've seen him <laughs> so many times on on uh, twitter even on the rte for one of the, the bows matches singing at the top of his voice not better man i think him and john cody are in terms of ex-footballers the two they're, who are just they're gone nearly home and away all the time <coughs> And what was uh, Jacko like as a teammate? I've interviewed him before a couple of years ago and I asked some of his teammates for questions and they said he was always doing the hair in the mirror and all. So what yeah, was Jacko like? liked himself. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chuck Ice comes to mind. <laughs> um, great player. I mean, silk and skills, lovely on the ball, great vision, great presence on the pitch. Um, I only got the playroom for that one season because, as I say, I left in 83. Um, I don't think we saw the best of him that year. I think the following year under Jim, uh, they got the best out of Jacko. Um, but, uh, I mean, I do remember from his Bowes days as well. He was just a great player. Uh, and, I, I mean, he played internet. He played for Ireland um, mm-hmm. as well. So, like, a great player, Jacko. But as you say, he did like his hair, did like his clothes, did like his style. <laughs> uh, and he played with style both on and off the pitch. I mean, it's just so sad to see what has happened to him. Yeah. Life is um, precious. People can still donate, can't they? The GoFundMe is, is still active. Absolutely, the GoFundMe. And, and we have a, um, a golf classic coming up in August, which I, I was told Robbie is one of the mainstays in organising a golf classic with Peter Madden. And uh, there's 40 teams have booked in already, so it's fully booked up for the for the the outing on the 22nd of august so if anyone wants to sponsor tea boxes or whole or greens feel free but it's it it's going really well and as i say again the generosity being shown by rover supporters and not just rover supporters because we had a collection up in dundalk too 
and we had a good collection up there and like it's the football family it, I mean it's a term I don't particularly like because of where it originated from but there is a football there's a football community the football community is uh, you know there's respect there respect for what people have done for the league and there's it's just lovely to see you mentioned that the crowd was small this is my final bit now nice and but the stadium for this game that we're going to in a couple of weeks the capacity is 3000 uh so fram Reykjavik still have the highest uh capacity of any ground in ice in 9800 but guess the attendance of your game back in 1982 i'm gonna say 473 you're very close 567 yeah, I, I do remember it was a very open ground i don't think there was yeah. any stands and there was people spec speckled around the place yeah. there was no atmosphere you certainly didn't feel threatened or uh, <laughs> overwhelmed by the uh, opposition opposing fans but uh, yeah i'm not surprised at that and i'm i'm, I'm going on about more records now that's still a record low attendance uh there have been lower like in covid times like right. uh, bratislava 2021 only 500 were allowed in so i mean technically that's the lowest but i mean aside from covid restrictions let's say uh, Iceland 82 is still the low, slowest. Also a record, John Giles in the, in the next round against Banik Ostrava from Czechoslovakia. He remains our oldest ever goal scorer in Europe, 37. So unless uh, a 41-year-old Alemanis comes up for a corner <laughs> in the last minute at some stage. That record is going to stand. Yeah, it looks safe I, I, now. You know, and, and it's a thing in the League of Ireland, I mean... Back when I was playing, like 37, lads did do it. I mean, John was an exciting. You can't, I wouldn't, I would never really classify Johnny Childs as being a League of Ireland player. He finished out his career in the League of Ireland. John Giles was a world class player, you know, and, uh, but at that stage, I mean, Johnny Fulham won the, the FAI, captained the FAI Cup team, the late Johnny, the late and great Johnny Fulham in 1978, age 38. So it just gives you, I think Gilesy, Banico Strava, he was older than 37. Um, well, this was 78. He, oh, yeah, Banico Strava, that's right. Yeah. He, he would have been. Cause when he, he stopped Johnny, playing, he was 40, yeah. I think. Sorry, yeah. yeah. He, no, you're right. Banico Strava, he was, because Johnny Fulham and Johnny Giles were about the same age. So they were mm. thir- both 38 when we won the Cup in, F- in 78. But, like, that wasn't uncommon. Players did, did, did go on. I mean, I played till I was nearly 40. Goalkeepers, as you know, with Alan Mann, it's totally different. And he's a he's a freak of nature. That, I mean, going on 41 and still going on. Hopefully he can, can get back. Um, but uh, I'm not sure that 37 will be beaten because if you look at outfield players, hmm. it doesn't happen anymore. There's very few over 32, 33, is there? I mean, Ronald Finn, God knows how long well, he'll go on. But uh, yeah, it's very rare. I think Steve McPhail... Not sure when he, when he retired. I think maybe he's about thirty six. But it's it's unusual for yeah, for robbers anyway. No, I mean again when I played, Terry was in the same team. Terry Everson and Terry went on 39 playing mm. as well. But I, I can't see that happening again. Yeah, uh, the clean sheet record. Alan has broke your record this season. Uh, you held it for twenty seven years. Were, were you aware that you had had? <laughs> did I bring it up at some stage? Or <laughs> I was aware when. Uh, I wasn't really aware, I have to be honest, I wasn't aware of it. Um, I became aware of it when I read it on Twitter <laughs> that he was heading towards my record, yeah. which I hadn't a clue what it was. 120, yeah. Yeah, so um, 
uh, it's nice to have records um, and to lose one when you didn't really know for 27 years that you had it <laughs> <laughs> was much easier. No, Alan Mannis has been exceptional for overs. He's right up there with the top goalkeepers ever played to play for who, for overs. His professionalism and his athleticism, you couldn't but admire him. And yeah, I, I had no problems handing over the record to him at all. Great, that, great professional. Well, that was yours truly, digging through uh, the match results to see which goalkeeper will <laughs> play which. Robert Goggins, the historian, he, I wouldn't say he disputes it, but he, he, he says to me, how can you know that that's the record? And I, my answer is, it's actually very easy because if you go back to the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, it's the same goalkeepers playing every week and actually not many clean sheets back then yeah. in those decades. And I think it's very easy yeah. to verify. And also the amount of league games would have been a lot less 40s, 50s, 60s, yeah, very true, 22 yeah. league games per season. 18, 22. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. But, but I'd certainly bear to your far superior knowledge <laughs> than Robert. Oh, no. He, listen, <laughs> he listens to this. I hope he's not listening. I'll let that out. Um, Anaman has a, a finger injury at the moment. I'm just curious, did you ever have something like that in your career? It's funny. Yeah, I did. Finger injuries do go. This must be particularly bad, but... Um, I do remember picking up finger injuries, but I remember going to get one x-ray and uh, when the, the x-ray, the results of the x-ray come back um, the doctor says to me, I see you've broken this finger before. And I said, oh, have I? Like, they're a part of the uh, of the game for goalkeepers' fingers. So, um, But he must have, it must be particularly bad if he's been missing mm-hmm. this long. I think he had to have an operation on it, did he? I think so. He was in a splint for a long time. Yeah. I think he broke it in a few places. Yeah, yeah so it was bad, right? Particularly, but it's yeah, it's it's part of the of the trade. Now you do get bit, a lot more protection now with the gloves that the lads are wearing, and some of them they, they have the, the 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 supports in the back of the fingers. But it must have been mm-hmm. a particularly bad one for it to happen to. And Leon Pauls in fairness has come in and done yeah. very well and there's actually a bit of a discussion now over whether he should be dropped considering he hasn't put a foot wrong for Rovers. Uh, this will be our last podcast before the game against Breidablik. We're not sure, like Al has been training, we're not sure is he actually going to be in contention by the time of this match mm. so when I do my starting 11s later I'm just going to put Leon in because mm. at the moment I, that's what I know. He's done exceptionally well. As I say, I've seen the last two games. Uh, what I like about him is he's very confident. He does the bread and butter things very well. I'd always say, judge a goalkeeper, not on the top corner saves or the, the brilliant saves. It's the bread and butter. How's his handling? How's his decision making? What's his position like? What's, how does he relate to his defence? All been very, very solid. Um I've I've seen the goals that have conceded over the last couple of weeks. I wouldn't blame him on any of them. Um, so you're weighing up against that. Is possession nine tenths of the law is what they say. <laughs> and as a goalkeeper, it's you know if if you're in possession, it's always the place to be, providing you're going well. Hasn't let the side down, but that's where Stephen Bradley earns his money. That's where he has to make his decision himself and his coaching staff as to what's best. He's obviously gaining more confidence by playing more games, but um. In your career, I doubt you sat on the bench very much. You were number one at every club you were at. Did you sympathise with reserve keepers and understudies? And what sort of relationship did you have with them? Like, was there competition there? Was it friendly or... There's always competition. There's always competition. Friendly. It is friendly in the sense that goalkeepers train together. They work together all week. 
they have their own little they do have the goalkeepers club there's no two ways about it but when you come to match day you want to be that goalkeeper who was playing mm. now um, you're not going to do anything to knock the other lad off but it's because you know it's up to you it's up to you if you're given the chance it's what you do and that's how you do it it's not against that you do anything ill towards the 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 the, the second choice or the lad you're competing with you're always competing with yourself. So as a goalkeeper, if you're given the opportunity, you're given the opportunity, you have to take it. That's that's where you're not competing against him. You're always competing against yourself to do the, to do the best you possibly can. So I've always gone on really well with uh, the, the teams I've been in, with the, with the reserve goalkeeper. Um, we always had a, a bond, um, trained well together. It's what you do on the Sunday or on the Friday night that matters. For me, it used to be the Sunday. For now, it's the Friday night and the Monday nights as well. So that's that's the, the biggest thing for goalkeeper. You mentioned Richard Brush earlier. He would have been competing with Barry Murphy back in 2013. Uh, Baz was a great goalkeeper for us. He was interviewed there a few months back because he officially hung up the gloves. Yeah. And he made a comment that which I wouldn't say it shocked me, but it was interesting to hear a keeper say. He said he actually did not get on well with other keepers. Not that he was arguing with them. He just he looked at them as competitors. So he weren't he wasn't friends with them off the pitch because the goalkeeper, as you know, it's a unique position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only uh, you can vie for one spot. Absolutely. But it was interesting to hear a goalkeeper openly no, well, say that's, that. That's honesty. Yeah. That's yeah. honesty for you. I and we're all different. We're all different. Um. I was the opposite. I worked hard with with uh, the goalkeepers uh, that I, that were at the, the club at the mm. same time as I was. But we all look at things differently. I mean, you are competing, so I get it. I understand it. I get where he's coming from. Mm. Um, but again, for me, it's what you do on the match day that counts. That's who you're competing with yourself. And it does seem we're 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 more on the outside looking in, but it does seem to be a good environment at Robbers. Like for example, when when Leon came on in Derry and saved the penalty after Al had had uh, suffered the injury, first man over to him was Al. They do seem to get on well. They seem to be very supportive of each other. I do think it's more yeah. than norm. I have to say, Bernie, mm-hmm. Baz, as you say, look, I get it. I do understand it because mm-hmm. you are competing for you are competing for that spot. But again, I would always go back to it's you you're competing with, not with the the other lad. Because what do you, if you're in and in possession, it's what you do dictates whether that second lad gets in, not what he does. So uh, me and, and I are going to leave at that just for the moment because now we're going to go to uh, Gary Shaw. So we're going to talk to him about the Starnan game back in 2017 and the Dundalk game just gone uh, but first up is the quiz so young Harry one of our youngest listeners only 11 he puts Gaz and Cavo to the test so we'll find out who comes out on top so first you get the quiz and then we'll go to Gary Shaw Welcome to Questions from the East End your favourite podcast quiz with the Shamrock Rovers squad I'm Harry Moore I'll be your quiz master today and we're kicking off the round of 16 with Gary O'Neill versus Sean Cavanagh so welcome along lads Thanks, Harry. Thank you. All going good? All good, Pat. All good. Um, just one question for you, Gary. I know yeah. I want to know it, and I know a lot of fans want to know it. When will you be back? <laughs> uh, not long, no, but I'd say I think this Friday might be a bit too soon for me, but hopefully I'll be, uh, I'll be in contention for the Champions League game on Tuesday. All going well. 
Okay, so I have the rules here. So the first player to get five correct answers wins and moves on to the quarterfinals. I'll take turns asking you questions, switching between football and general knowledge, and you have 20 seconds to respond. If your answer is wrong, then your opponent is allowed to steal. We also have the prof here as timekeeper. He'll keep score and settle any disputes that may arise. In the unlikely event that neither Gary or Sean manages to reach five points after we've gone through our entire pool of 20 questions, then whoever is ahead at the time is declared winner. In the even more unlikely event that it's a draw in the end, I have a question here for you which will be used as a tiebreaker. It also determines who gets to go first, which could be important like a coin toss in a penalty shootout. So here's your tiebreaker question. Whoever gets it right or whoever is the closest to the number goes first. So Gary, you tell us your answer first and then Sean will hear yours. So the question is, how many pages are there in a typical issue of Hoopsie? It's going to be a serious guess. Uh, I'm going to go with 26. That is incorrect. So it's over to you, Sean. Um, I'll go 32. That's also incorrect. But Sean, you were the closer one. The answer is 64. So we're going to start with you, Sean. I fall asleep after about 22. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're starting with you, Sean, as you yep. were closer. So, your first question, Sean In what year did Diego Maradona win his first ever World Cup? Uh, World Cup? Yeah. Um, was it 86? That is correct, 1986. <laughs> the shark is often running. <laughs> so, Prof, uh, you're keeping score, yet? Yeah? I am indeed. Point for Sean. Okay. So, 1-0, Sean. So, Gary, what Irish player scored the fastest goal in Premier League history? Shane Long. That is correct. I think he scored inside 7.69 seconds, to be exact. Pretty good, Harry. Okay, Sean... Yep. What is the capital city of Brazil? Brasilia. Correct. And I also have a little fun fact here. Rio de Janeiro was the country's capital for over 200 years, 1763 to 1960. Nice. Nice. Okay. Gary, what is the most eaten food in the world? <sighs> the capital of Brazil, Denise. <laughs> Should have got the hill right. What was the eating food? 20 seconds, is it? Am I on the clock, Harry? Yeah. Yep. Five seconds. I'm chicken. chicken. That is incorrect. So we're over to you now, Sean. Are we talking a type of food as in like... Ah, yeah. Um, Prof, well, I don't think I'm allowed to say that now. Okay. Just... Um, I'll go... Peter. Uh, sorry, that's incorrect. It's rice. Rice. Okay, so what are we? One nil still? No, one one. Uh, two, two one to Sean. Two one to Sean. Yeah. Okay, so Sean, how many league games are Rovers without a win against Strada? 
Any Did Lee games? Yeah, Lee games. Um, I'll go with... Four. Incorrect. Gary, over to you. Lee games. Three. Um, sorry, it's five. Brilliant. Okay, so now it's with you, Gary. Yeah. What was the name of the Icelandic club that Rovers met in 2017? Oh, wasn't there. Is that when Graham scored that goal, was it? Um, Hold on a minute here. We can't be asking questions about questions. <laughs> Just answer it. You know, you played it. I, I, I wasn't here either. Uh, no, Sean, you hadn't signed till the next season. Is this... that, that's time, lads. We're going to go to Sean. Oh, I'm just talking, Johnny. Star <laughs> uh, is it? It is. That is correct. That's so we're 3 1 now, no, Sean, I think. I was going to say Star but Fiona had in my head that they played HK before with someone, and I had that in my head. Hate something, mm-hmm. anything he played. Yeah, that was in 1980. Hey. <laughs> I think I could admit the feed here. Prof, that was a bit harsh, John. You could have given me a little five on the clock. Okay, Cavo, who yep. was the first man on the moon? Oh, I actually don't know. Um, I don't think it is. I think it was somebody before, but was it Buzz Aldridge or something like that? No. So, Gary... Chance to steal here. Neil Armstrong. Correct. Three two. Okay. And now, Gary, you have another you have a chance to level it. What song did Elton John close his Glastonbury headline set with on Sunday? It's gonna be multiple choice, Harry, is it? I'm waiting for you. No, it's just you have to guess. Uh, I'm gonna score a limb and say, Are you ready for love? No, it's Rocket Man. Don't worry, Harry, Harry, don't, don't worry, Pat. Don't it's worry, Harry, Harry. I wouldn't have got it right anyway. No, I wouldn't have got that right. Apologies now, sorry. No problem. Okay. Sean, what nationality is Vera Pau, the manager of the Republic of Ireland's women's ah. football team? Dutch, is she? What did you say? Dutch from Holland, yep. Netherlands. Yep, that's correct. Okay. Gary... Who took Rovers' second penalty in the 2019 FBI Cup penalty shootout? Second. Joey. Correct. 4-3 to Cabo. For the win, Cav. In the um, clutch. High scoring <laughs> game anyway. You're doing well. Which Irish employee advertised for new recruits using the slogan... Get tanked for a living. Get tanked for a living. Go with Paddy Power. No, Gary. Perhaps you have no idea on this one. Which Irish employee get tanked for a living? Ben Dunn? No, Dublin bus. Um, Gary, no. What's the fastest land animal? Cheetah. Correct. Oh, yeah. Four now. Four up. 
For the hey. wing, Cam, you're still, still in the driving seat. All right, you relax. <laughs> Calm down now. Stop putting that pressure. Seat, but... <laughs> Name the defeated clubs in the championship playoff final and the League One playoff final. Um, 20 seconds, probably. 20 seconds. League One was... League One was Barnsley. Uh, championship... <sighs> Who did they be? It's a sloppy. I should know this because Gary's gone. Two seconds on my clock. That's time. Go on, Gary. You can take it. That's Michael Carrick. No, no, it's not Michael Carrick. It is. Who was it? He ended up with me. I haven't got it. It was a terrible final number. Six seconds, Gary. I'm gonna go. Okay, the answer. Does it come back? Does it come back? Answer is Coventry. They lost oh, to Liverpool yeah. and Penos. And Wait, Barnes... Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, Gary, which club did Inter Milan sign Ronaldo from in 1997? Remedy. Incorrect, Sean. Congrats, Cass. Brilliant, lad. <laughs> Don't like the way you keep doing this. Start to sweat here now. Um, in the man sign the front. Barcelona, was it? No, answer is PSV. Oh. Uh, okay, Sean. At the end of Game of Thrones, who ended up on the Iron Throne? I've never watched it. Um, same, same, same. same. If you got it wrong, you're not getting it. I couldn't name you one character. Um, honestly, I don't know one character. I'll have to pass it over. Okay, Gary. Uh, I'm going to pass as well, Harry. I haven't a clue of one character on Game of Thrones. Okay. The answer is Bran Stark. Okay, Gary. Elon mm-hmm. Musk is the CEO of which global automotive brand? That would be Tesla. Wrong. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> we got there in the end. <laughs> quite a comeback, Gary. You were, you were it was. long gone it was. there at one point. Yeah, yeah. I knew he'd, uh, I knew Campbell had it he didn't have the, the minerals. <laughs> now, if, if I'm going to throw something out there, I, I, I don't want to. I had Rocket Man, but we, we, we've had. We've had okay, so am I doing the rest of the questions or is that it? That's it, Harry. We'll okay, no up. problem. So thanks, Emil, Gary, and Sean. Gary, you progress to the quarterfinals. Sean, sadly, you're knocked out, but you did well to get to the round. 16 anyway. We're doing very well. I don't know how I got here. <laughs> but Harry, thanks very much. And Gary, congratulations. No thanks, thanks Sean. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, thanks, so we had the return of the one and only Gary Shaw on the podcast. I found an excuse to get him back on as a former match winner in Iceland six years ago. So welcome back, Shazi. Thanks, Prof. Thanks for having me. Always good to be on the podcast. And you would have just heard that quiz between... Gary O'Neill and Sean Cavanagh. Do you think were you hearing any cup winning uh, contenders there, Shazi, for the for the title? Yeah, going into it, um, I 
no no disrespect to Cavo, I would have had a few bob on, on Gary O'Neill to progress to the quarterfinals just with, I suppose, the, the UCD pedigree. And in <laughs> fairness, Cavo, Cavo had the chance to, to to take it, I think, two or three times, and he absolutely shit the bed. So, um, he yeah, he, he panicked, but fair play to Harry. He was a great host. And uh, look, there was there was no uh, no doubts about it. Gary O'Neill took a fair and square. So, um, yeah, he... Um, Surprised me with a couple of couple of answers, Cavo and fairness to him. Didn't think he had had it in him, but ultimately didn't get the get it when it mattered. So fair play to Gary on to the next round for him. Yeah, a bit of controversy with the Rocket Man question, but uh I yeah. have to say Cavo he had he had plenty of opportunities to win it, so I don't he think did. he can have too many complaints. Didn't take his chances and just looking for excuses there. So look, maybe maybe next <laughs> year for him, but not this time round. Yeah. Uh Gary was actually notorious for getting that steel part up in Rosedown. I think he, I think he had Joey O'Brien fuming a couple of times because he'd, he'd call out the answer and Joey would be denied his chance to steal. But Joey actually... I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't yeah, like Joey getting angry. No, don't like him. <laughs> he, he spoke about that recently, actually, and he goes, that, that was me legacy, those quizzes up in Rosedown. He used to... <laughs> He used to lash people out of it in the quizzes. Like he beat Sam Bowen five 0 He just no, tear through like, the qualifiers. Like that's, that's Joey. Like he he take that proper series and he be he be going for lads. And I'm not surprised. Like he'd he really go for lads and he'd be he'd be nearly at home studying for them. Yeah, he just came on stuck in the finals though. Unfortunately, every time David who, 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 um, oh, in fairness, Davey's a knowledgeable fella. So um, yeah, that's a good. That's a strong final. That's a strong final, in fairness. And the following year, it was Pigo beat him again. So I was the bridesmaid. It was Joey. <laughs> Poor fella. I remember you sitting beside me in Kickstarter Fitness that day when James Doona got 10. That was... That, that oh, was my God. Occasion. The themes, wasn't it? <laughs> that was... that. What was, what was the... What way did that work again? Was it yet to get... A certain number in, in it was ten questions, and you had it was to, just ten questions, and we were scoring his out of ten. Yeah, and he was the and first everyone, to get ten, and everyone was around him thinking he'd get like zero basically because he wouldn't be the brightest spark. But <laughs> yeah, oh, I remember that. Now, geez, I forgot about that. That was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. The whole place went insane. My only regret was not video on that because yeah, it was it was actually chaotic. It, it was something else. Geez, you'll have to you'll have to tell me what episode that was in. I have to go back and listen to that again. I will do, yeah. I'll send it on to you. Yeah, that was a good yeah. one. Like I said, oh yeah, Harry, a great host. He's a natural. Uh, how long do you think I've yeah, this play. job before he uh, replaces me? I don't know. Like, what, how old is he? He's only 11. 11 years of age. Yeah, I'd say you're all right, Prof. Now, the other fellow might, might uh, be getting replaced if he's taking any more holidays. Now, Harry will slot in there and <laughs> take a spot. So, he'd want to be careful. He'd want to be careful now. Careful, Gary. No more two-week trips to, to Turkey, right? Yeah, Gary. Gary was sending me a picture of uh, he was over in Turkey with my wife's uncle, and um, he was uh, getting very competitive in the pool, uh, playing water polo with him and a few Brits. So, <laughs> um, he's not he's not taking a handy over there anyway. Yeah, he was updating us on that. Yeah, he was taking on the Brits. I think Norwich fans they were. <laughs> yeah, Norwich uh, fans. Yeah. Whatever Some close contests, apparently, yeah. 10, 10 9 victory. Like he, he was proud of that one. Fair play to him. But, jeez, uh, I don't know about that getting involved over there. So we're going to talk about a little bit about the Zendok game. Uh, not too much. 
Uh, I don't think <laughs> it was a, it was a poor game, and I, I apologize to you, Shazi. Of all games to make you a review in the podcast, we we chose this one. I know, I know. I wasn't able to watch it live, and um, I was actually uh, in the car, and um, the derby was on this weekend, so I was in the car on Friday. But yeah, I watched it back, and like you said, um, wasn't pretty viewing. Um, not much to report from a, a rover standpoint, and. I suppose Stephen Bradley would be disappointed with the the goals conceded. Um, you know, I, I suppose a misplaced pass in the middle. Of, and look, a, a great finish by your man um, for Dundalk. And then a simple set piece of box four or five minutes later then um, from, from, from so deep. So, yeah, there wasn't much to report on the rover side. Kind of, it didn't get off to a great start with the, the near own goal from Sean Hoare. That was kind of set the tone for rovers. And yeah. from there on in, it was. It was. It was really like it's. You know, Dundalk is. The, I suppose I was. I had a good time in Dundalk, um, when we played up there. But, um, just it never got. They never got going. They never kind of in the final third got a good rhythm or got many, you know, decent efforts away. And yeah, just sloppy. And I suppose you're getting close to the to the big games now. The Champions League ties. The FAI Cup is going to be on soon, and you just don't want to start. You don't want little things to start creeping in, especially when you're playing against much stronger teams. So, yeah, but they'll, have to, um, they'll have to put that right. We'll do a little run through my live report anyway. Uh, but you've you've covered the majority of it there, in terms of like the goals and 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 the the mistake from from horror early on. But yeah, the team Brazzer made a good few changes. He had Gaffney on the bench, Burke in the bench, Shaq didn't travel at all, so still missing Finner, Gary O'Neill. So a lot of players out. A depleted squad, you could say. They had Tullock suspended after his uh, ridiculous red card against Pats. Like, not, no way was that a red card. It was, it was a stupid decision. Um, I drove up with Ozzy Nate and Dan Fulham. So Nate drove. Uh, you're familiar with Ozzy Nate, aren't you, Shazzy? The, I remember your your introduction to him. Which? What was that one now? Who was he? There was a live show where he introduced himself. Five years ago, you were still with us, and you came on at the end talking. I remember you talking to you about it. You you were, said you were in the kitchen listening to it, and then some Aussie fella came on talking absolute garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, yeah, what an interruption that was! So you travelled with him, did you? Is he still? Does he still talk? Yeah, like, travelled him. Yeah, he was he was getting excited for Monty because it was the final between the Icelandic team and the Montenegrin team. See who we, we would face, and the lads were talking about traveling to Montenegro. So he was getting excited yeah. for all the sun and everything, but uh, it wasn't to be. No, no, they got hammered. So, uh, 500 hoops there in Dundalk. There we were up in the terrace, some in the stand. Uh, no rain, they said. They said no <laughs> rain. They said just cloudy and 19 degrees. Lies, absolute lies. Horrible drizzly rain on and off for ninety minutes. I think that kip just draws in the can, rain. Can I tell you? Can I can I ask? Like I've only obviously ever played there. I don't think I've ever been a spectator up there. No, I haven't. I never don't think I ever will be. But what what's it like as a fan in that I'm not gonna call it a stand on the steps. It just must be miserable, is it? It's the absolute worst. <laughs> the absolute worst. I, I think I still feel Drahada is the worst uh, view. In the country, maybe maybe you could tie it with Alka Park yeah. behind the ground, just as an overall experience. In fairness, as bad as it is, 
in the last like five years or I'm trying to think beforehand there's probably been a few as well before I was there there's been a lot of great moments though in that stand like very good like the Dylan Watts panel I remember Brando's goal in the FAI Cup was it the semi-final was it or was it yeah, first semi-final, yeah, the yeah. semi-final they went to a replay then I remember like the pitch went on fire then that day Um, just yeah some some very good moments in fairness but I am. Um, I always think of the fans when when we were when I was playing up there, saying, and especially if it was raining as well. Oh God, help them fans down in that corner. Uh, do you know what the worst part was? I'm giving out about the rain there, but to be honest, the absolute worst part was the PA. This is <clears throat> insufferable. It's just the way he drones on, and the sound of it, like the <laughs> distortion of it, is so loud and it's right in your ear. Like my ears are ringing afterwards. My favorite part of the whole day was seven forty when he stopped talking, and <laughs> that was it. We had uh, Dan Fulham on last week. Do you, do you remember Dan's story? Shows you about how he was detained in Bulgaria for three days over the supposed oh. uh, fake passport. No, did you not follow that story? It was like, it was, oh, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we had Dan on, and he he told that story. Uh, last week so I'm not surprised or sorry I'm surprised that this PA is not used as a form of torture I think if they had used this on Dan he would have signed immediately he would have said Grant no it's not me in the photo you have me <laughs> take the cart he, he would have caved yeah, that's how bad really, this was I probably yeah I probably never really paid too much attention to the PA fella in fairness that's yeah, the next time there's a, if I was ever there or there's a game, I'm going to try and get a, get a listen in. But if it's bothering you that much, prof, he must be bad. Well, we we actually did a parody of it last year. <laughs> um, I'll I'll send that on to you. It's it's, it's quite funny. <laughs> right. So yeah, just one of those nights. Really, like, it was a poor performance. Um, we on a pitch that we rarely play well on. Um, although we did win four 0 obviously in March, but um. Someone described the ground as like the black and white bit in the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> void of any life or playability. But that was that description. Um, just on our fullbacks, um, the way Fruge and Clark get us up the pitch, do you think that would be missed in Europe? Because their pace and the way they can single-handedly get us 50, 60 yards up the pitch. If we're if we're starting Cabo and Finn in the Champions League, do you think that would be a miss? Definitely, like you know, they're both just very direct. Um, you know, Trev as well. He was popping up with a couple of goals in, in great positions. Ferruja does the same. They're they're um they're more, I would say, attack minded, um, than the others. And I don't know how long they're going to be out for, but obviously with the Champions League games, I think they'll be, and you know, hopefully European run, they would be definitely missed. Um. But look, you never know what what these games might bring up. Um, they're they're big games, and and you just hope it's going to take a lot more than just your fullbacks. Um, you know, doing well. It's it's going to be a I suppose look a cliche sounds a team effort because they're they're um, obviously stronger sides, different styles of play, and stuff like that. So, um, you kind of need everyone to come up um, mm-hmm. and perform. As look, this team, this group have been there and done it now. Um. They just need to try and uh, to do it on the, the Champions League stage and get through the rounds as, as best they can because 
it'll be a good fight this thing. Yeah, I think Ferrugia is maybe 50-50 to make in time, so we'll see if he plays. If Finner does play, I think he tends to turn up for these big games, doesn't he? Like yeah. European he's games. Forward. And... He, he's he's looking like, geez, I don't know who's has a better um, better CV than Finner in, in Europe. Um, he really, um, he's he's uh, been everywhere. He's he, he just seems to be getting younger as the years go on. That's what it's like nearly. Now, obviously, he's struggling with a bit of injuries this season, which isn't ideal and not what you want. Um, he's probably not fully fit, even if he does make it back. Um, I'm not sure what the situation with Jack is. You know, he didn't treat him. Obviously, he wasn't involved at all in Dundalk. You know, he's obviously a key player to be to be um, to be in there. So, you just want all your your top performers ready to rock for for these games because they. They come on quick and they can pass you by, and it's another it's another year before they come around again. Yeah, so the team of this game was probably the Lions been putting this flag up every time we were we were true on goal. Uh, there was a couple of them from Gaffney, at least from our uh, vantage point. We didn't think he was off. We had a goal ruled out for offside as well. Uh, the first half there was a shot from Kenny. It's probably as good as it got. There was the horror mistake where. He nodded a pass pose and then had to chase it back and clear it off his own goal line. Uh, meanwhile, we were keeping an eye on the game in Iceland. And uh, Bradablick were four up after only 33 minutes. So just like that, we were like, okay, let's start booking flights because it, it's it's over. It's pretty much confirmed. So I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest. I, I didn't see much of this second half because I was there on my phone booking flights to uh, Reykjavik. So... Yeah, you got to have you that you one. Got sorted. You got sorted with the flight then. I did get sorted in the end. Yeah, I was, I was happy enough because we knew by the time the the date was confirmed and everybody got up, got home, or got up the next morning. You know, they could could double by then. So, what's uh, yeah. what's the traveling crowd looking like? Is there any any numbers yet, or you? I don't really have a sense of numbers yet. No, I think it was about maybe three hundred back in uh, twenty seventeen, which we'll talk about. In, didn't in Gary? Moment. Didn't Gary miss the one in Sarna? Didn't he? Didn't he decided not to go, or he don't know what he did, or did he? Was he there? Oh, he went actually. Or? Yeah, he was. He was very touch and go with that one. But uh, we ended up both got on the charter. Yeah. All right. Okay. I wasn't sure if he missed that one. I thought he missed the game, or he missed one. Of, did he miss one of them after we got through? Did he? Did he not go to a? I can't remember. I but he missed, he missed your goal them. anyway. He was in the jacks. That's that, sorry. That's what it was. I knew he missed <laughs> something. Yeah, he missed. Yeah, yeah he, I'm. It's hard to forgive him. He travels all the way and then he decides to go to the jacks at a key point in the game. Jesus, just hold on to half time, son. Yeah. So second half, the only thing I can think of is uh, the Bergy shot where he nearly curled it in, but Shepard pushed it out. Um, I didn't think they were great either. Uh, top at number two, the fullback Davies, very speedy, put in some dangerous crosses. He put us under a bit of pressure with uh, with balls into the box. Up to this point, we'd only conceded five away goals in 11 games. And here we conceded two. So, yeah, we had 74 minutes. Ansley, the Gibraltar player, played against Ireland last month. Great finish by him in the top corner. Although the move came from uh, something where we get the ball away. And then three minutes later, uh, Pat Holman leaps above Pico and Cleary to make it a uh, 2-0. So, yeah, that was it, Shazi, a 2-0 defeat. Yeah, even, yeah, even, it's funny, like, the manager's reflections, I watched the interviews after as well, and Stephen O'Donnell, like, said, 
that it was probably their team's best performance. And then Bradder <laughs> said he thought both teams were very poor. So yeah, um, you know you you wonder sometimes. Look, it was it was it was a, it was a poor game. Just Dundalk took took those chances when they were presented to them, and two like, great finishes. In fairness, a great strike by your man, and then the header is, you know, he's. He's got up well and had a pico and he's put it right into the corner. It is it is a great header, but you know, from a rover's point of view, it's just poor goals to concede. And speaking of the post match interview, uh Chef Ray Whedon lurking in the background as he often does uh at Oreo Park. Do you miss the old curry there, Shazi? Tell you what, it was always great. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever said this before. I would always walk in and the manager has a thing where he waits kind of five minutes or half time before he goes into the lads that's what that's what they do they kind of give you time to settle down so win, lose or draw you all settle down but after um, you go in a full time obviously you get that smell of curry and it's <laughs> fucking gorgeous and I'd always go before he come in I'd always go and get a cup of tea but I'd walk in win, lose or draw I'd go in and get a cup of tea around the corner in the home changing room sit down and have it there and then you just hope that he'd wrap things up quick but if you lost the game he just kept smelling the curry and he'd just go on and on and on be grilling lads or whatever but um, it was always a great thing to look forward to in fairness great thing you're a Luke and now can he not bring the, the curry out to you know <laughs> done now finished with Luke and I'm done Back are you done in. are you done yeah finished up um, I just did it for six months I wasn't going to go back um, but um, what you call him uh, Mark Byrne Connor Clearford went up and just said come up and it went up and they played. See, I was working on Sundays as well. I did a lot of work on Sundays, so I actually only ended up playing about seven games, um, all together in the six months, and then do a bit. The last baby now in three weeks' time, so I'm not that. That'll be three. I'll be taken care of. So, um, I'm going to uh, give this season a miss. I think, and we'll see where we stand. Let the dust settle a bit, but uh, yeah, something something has to give with working with the kids now, and the young lad Max is is um. He was up in, in Tala there a few weeks ago. So he has the bug now. So his trainings with the academy in Newbridge Town are on Sundays. So I'd rather be looking after the next generation now in this house than, than um, putting the boots on myself. Oh, yeah. A bit of an off night in Dundalk. Could have done with a bit of magic like the, the Shazzy Swivel back in 2017. Could have done with yeah, that. Yeah, um, That would have been nice now. Never forget that goal. Uh, we should also mention uh, Keith Ward, who obviously is not a popular figure at Rowers fans, but he, he played a blinder here because we were shouting dirty bows bastard at him. <laughs> and then Ward goes over and points at Liam Burt, <laughs> which, was, which was clever and very <laughs> Oh, jeez. What did he do? What did he do at him now when he whipped the ball in? Did he, did he kind of veer towards the Rovers fans when he went to the corner to celebrate, or, or did he just leave his, leave his beat? That's what I, I would have do. done now. If I was getting if I was getting abuse off off fans and he whipped the ball in and we scored, I'd be veering my run towards the fans just to give them a bit and then go over to the lads. I, I actually did notice anything. what he did. Yeah, no, I probably still am <laughs> Ryan there at that point, trying trying to hit the confirm <laughs> yeah, button. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just a just a quick question on the like as an ex player, we can ask you this about the the Astro in. Uh, Oreo Park like Brazzer will say pretty much all the time no excuses we have our own Astro Rosetown we prepared it all week but then you look at it during the match and the ball is bobbling in all sorts of directions 
Can you really prepare that for that for that pitch? Yeah, I don't think you can prepare for like obviously train on an Astro. Like the old Astro now with Dundalk was was a disgrace. Like a, the, before this one got relayed, um, so it wasn't too bad when it got relayed, and it was a bit I suppose hairier. It was like a hockey pitch, um, but it was a bit more like grass. But just whatever it is with that one, whatever is underneath it, I don't know what way they've laid it or what way it's done, but the ball bounces different. It it just doesn't doesn't roll like a normal Astro and like I, I don't get it and you, you come off feeling like you play two games of football on it and it does take it out of you whatever, whatever it is I don't know there's just something about that place that every player in the league will give out about and will forever give out about I think and until you actually experience it um, it's always a it's always a talking point I look on dog train every every day I, I don't know if they have the gra- I think they have the grass pitch out the back that they probably train on during the summer but I'm sure they still do a bit on the Astro and I'm sure that they have adapted or tried to adapt to the unnatural roll slash bounce of, of that um, uh, Astro. So it is an advantage and and I'm sure Dundalk lads would say otherwise, but every other player in the league would say it is an advantage to them. Ozzy Nate beside me was counting up the ex-Dundalk players we have. I think it came to five although one wasn't in the squad, but we certainly have enough excellent dark players there used to the pitch, but... That's a fair point, and uh, you, you, when you think of the team there, yeah, like, there is a lot of excellent dark lads there, so those were, were clutching at straws talking about the pitch. You just lost 2-0, and that's it. There's nothing else to it. It's uh, take your medicine and move on. Yeah, we'll have to move on. Um, and then so the FA way... Cup, yeah, the FA Cup up there, isn't it? Yeah, we Great actually... Dundalk. We have three domestic games this month. And all of them are in loud, yeah. Dundalk draw it in the league, and then Dundalk in the cup again, yeah. There you go. So we're on our way home from the game, and then the email comes out: uh, the Champions League home leg to Bradabick, and tickets go on general sale, which caught people by surprise. I mean, we were we were, we were in the horrors after a after a poor game, and trying to sort tickets, just trying to sort flights for. For Iceland, I think the last thing we needed was worrying about uh, this game, and people were getting in queues and being told they're they're sixty thousand people ahead of them. So uh, I, I didn't, I felt they shouldn't have been just sprung on us like that. I thought the timing was bad in the close behalf there, but that's that's what happened anyway. So draw the next. Um, I know you love going to Galway and tormenting Galway, but. You you were a menace down at Amy and DC Park, but what about bogey clubs? Did you ever, well, let's say at Rovers, or was there a club where you thought, for whatever reason, we can't beat I, these? I was only thinking, um, actually, recently enough, I was talking, I was talking to someone about the, the places that I have and haven't scored in around the country, and uh, I have scored in Drotta, but I was saying then Drotta was a bit of a bogey club, especially at Rovers. I think. Was it the FEI Cup in, I don't, know, I don't know if it was the FEI Cup, but I remember losing a game in Drogheda for Rovers. And it was probably the most embarrassed I've ever been on a football pitch. And I remember going over to clap the fans. And it was just fingers pointing at you. Like, you shit cunts, essentially. Like, it was horrendous. And, like, we were just like, we deserve every bit of this. <laughs> but we have to go over and we have to, like, again take our medicine and yeah 
but I can't remember what what the score of that game was. But it was was it would have been twenty seventeen. It was oh, that twenty eighteen. Uh, Rahad were in the first division at the time. Twenty eighteen, yeah. And uh, League Race got a red card early on. Yeah, Sinclair Armstrong actually came on and made his debut. Sinclair's debut, I remember that now, yeah. Oh, I just remember that, and I don't think I'll ever be more embarrassed on a pitch. That, that and, and the Dundalk 5-2 game in, in Tala, but that Drotta game. But yeah, um, I actually never liked playing against Drotta in, 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 um, in their place. I, I hate that ground. I hate everything about the ground. I hate the just the drive there. I actually drove, I actually drove uh, home from Drotta one time um, and then both bulbs in my car went. Um, <laughs> I was a long at the time and we used to drive to the, you, you, there's, a, there's certain clubs that you drive to, like that's one of them. You, it's not far enough to get a bus and hire a bus. Um, but uh, I remember driving home from, from, from um Hunky Dory Park at the time, I don't know what it's called now, this ditch. Um, and I uh, both the front bulb, I don't know what happened, but on the M1 driving home, both front bulbs went. So I had to drive home with my full lights on. So the whole way home, people were just flashing me. And um, after I got off the motorway, <laughs> people were just flashing me. Um, but yeah, never liked playing um, in Drada. Not saying they were a bit of a Bowie club, but I've had my most embarrassing game there and I've lost a couple of games as well. And there, when Drada were weren't great, and I was expected to win up there, and have lost probably too many games than I should have. So they're definitely up there as a bogey club. Well, definitely for us at the moment, they're a bogey club. Like you heard in the quiz, there five league games without a win against them. We did beat them in the cup with the, the Andy Lyons winner in extra time. But uh, just looking at the other results there, the saving grace on the night, of course, was that the fact that Derry only drew. So we had Cork 1, Drogheda 1, Shelburne 1, Derry 1, St. Pat's beat UCD 7-0, and Sligo beat both 3-0. And uh, Talbot Old Custard Arms was back with a terrible error for the second goal. And I, uh, saw, I saw a clip of it all right, but the, the quality of the camera was horrendous. I don't yeah, know if it was yeah. a better, but yeah, so I couldn't really see into the goal. I was about, but I couldn't really see what, what happened. I don't know if it was a wind or it was, it was a weird one, dog. It was cross, and then strange one. Yeah, it was a strange one, but a terrible howler. And um, it was funny reading the comments on Facebook after the game, like just the meltdown was quite funny. I just think back to Bowes fans talking about building statues of Deck and Devine back in March and and now in July they're questioning his appointment altogether. Like that's how quickly you can swing around. Uh yeah. we have Aiden Marr, he says it has to be said that Bowes wrapping up the league after ten games and then going on to beat Rovers two all at home. They've had a fabulous season. <laughs> if they can secure a European friendly during the summer and complete the triple, they'll never let us forget it. <laughs> That's fantastic in fairness. Jesus Christ. Yeah, they're falling away a bit now, aren't they? They're probably fifth or sixth, are they? I think they're fifth still, is it? But um yeah, so but more importantly, Pat's only four points behind this. Your old club, Shazi. Are they in a title race, do you think? Personally I don't think so. Um look they're going well. Um I think Forrester's 
they are going well. Obviously, change of manager obviously injects a bit of life into a team. Um, but I think Rose just have too much for everyone else. That's just, you know, better squad. I know, obviously, with Europe and that, you become stretched a bit, um, depending on cup runs as well. But I think overall, in the grand scheme of things, Rovers are, you know, they're where they are without being fantastic. And they're still, you know, four at the top. So I think if they get a good rhythm going, kick into gear, the last, you know, last series of games, they'll start to pull away. And I, I'd see Rovers winning comfortably enough with a bit in hand anyway. Yeah, Alan O'Neill we have on the show this week as well. He's saying the same thing. I don't like how they're both predicting a very comfortable title win as as a fan. We I don't ever think that way. I always think <laughs> it's gonna go to the wire. That's, uh, but yeah, the the cup game in Dundalk it's been confirmed for Sunday, July twenty third, at five p.m. So this is before the if we are to beat Bradebeck, this would be. Before the Copenhagen home leg, and the Dock are playing the previous Thursday, so they're complaining that they're playing three days after their game on Thursday. So they're playing Thursday Sunday, but we did that many a time last year. The Thursday Sunday schedule. Yeah, and we we did it in twenty seventeen. The swivel goal was was we we lost to Milada Boleslav on the Thursday, mm-hmm. and we played them Dock then on the Sunday at three o'clock, whatever it was. So mm-hmm. look. These things happen, guys. And the favourite goal of yours, wasn't it, was after Sweden in 2018. We went to, to Waterford on the Sunday. And I remember interviewing you in the programme and you actually picked out that goal as probably your favourite Rovers goal. Yeah, it was more out of anger because um, I was left out of the game in, in Sweden. And then the Waterford game came up and it was such an important game to get a win. And that was... Uh, so it was... Personally, it was absolutely massive for me, so that's why it's one of my favourites. Great goal as well, in fairness. The diving header, yeah. I sent you that. That was a great switch. Great Bulger. Never forget Greg Bulger, big diag, Sam Bone, whipped it in, one bounce goal. Thanks for coming, lads. I love that photo of you outstretched, heading, heading it in. It's <laughs> yeah. a brilliant one. Yeah, and I've managed to get my eyes, like, I don't know how I have with the diving header, I've managed to get it. Look at the ball going in. It's great. <laughs> it's a great, uh, it's a great photo. Ah, it's a stunning photo. Right, so now we're going to throw to uh, Hafstein, our Raderblick man on the ground. He's going to help us uh, preview this Champions League match. I'm joined now by Hafstein Arneson uh, to help us preview our Champions League first round opponents, uh, Raderblick. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, you told me that you live now in the north of Iceland, but you were born and raised in Kovavur, uh, and you've been a Bradeblick supporter all your life. So how did you get into them, and what are some of your early memories of, of following the club? Uh, well, I'm, yeah, like I told you, uh, I was born in Kovavur, which is like an adjacent town to Reykjavik, capital in the southwest. So just from the early childhood, you know, we started at as six years old and, and we just, you know, sign up for the club. And, and I've been a supporter since then. That was since the early 90s. Early 90s. In terms of the history of the club, I was reading that they were founded in 1950. You reached the top flight in 1971. And uh, you wear green and white, just like ourselves. Uh, can yeah. you tell us a bit about the history, the sort of ups and downs and 
the relationship with the town and the area? Uh, yeah, the, the I remember most of the during the nineties we were rocking between the 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 Premier Division and the, and then the Second League. We're kind of the the yo-yo team, but yeah. in the early two thousands. There was a lot of investment by the town council in facilities for the club. So that expanded, you know, how should I say, the, the, the depth of the of the whole team. And also the town just got bigger. So the, the pool of players that signed up. So uh, gradually we just got better and, and established ourselves as a pre- Icelandic Premier League team. And we had our first title in uh, 2009 when we won the... The Icelandic Cup, and in 2010 we won the Icelandic League for the first time, and then we won it uh, last year for the second time. Yeah, you won by ten points last year. Um, so out of those trophies, leagues, and cups, that that's given you some some good memories. Yeah, absolutely, and and we've been in like for the top three for like almost ten years. Most of the times we were qualifying for Europe or European competition. So we have, we have enjoyed, you know, some success in that regard. So we're speaking on Sunday here. You've got a cup game away to K on Tuesday and then a home league game with uh, Filker on Friday. So you're in third place after 13 games, 13 points off the leader is uh, Vikinger. Just looking at your last five league games, four draws and a 5-2 loss to your neighbours HK. So that one must have hurt. How how are you playing at the moment? What's that? How are you playing at the moment? How's the team playing? Uh, the team has been playing. Um, honestly speaking, it's been quite a rocky start, and it's a little bit different from last year, where we the team just absolutely steamrolled the league. But what happened, you know, after the season last year, we sold our two of our best players. Isak Thorvaldsson went to Rosenborg in Norway, and and Dagur Dan Thorvaldsson was sold to. Orlando City in the MLS, and then we recruited new players, uh, and uh, they have been struggling. Most of them to keep up with the team, in in my view. But it's we're seeing gradual process. But we had a unfortunate incident with our striker Patrick Johannesson, who was purchased from Keflavik before the season, and he tore his ACL in like the fifth game or something. So we we have been struggling with the with the new signings. But and you're also going to lose your your best striker, uh, Stefan Sigurdsson, to uh, the Belgian second division. You were telling me he's top goal scorer with ten goals. He scored yeah. in both the semi final and the final. But uh, as you understand it, Friday was his last game for the club. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. He's he's leaving for a club called Patro Eisten. Which I've never heard before, but apparently it's some kind of a new adventure in the Belgian league. And uh, from what I understand is that uh, Luke Nielis, the Belgian striker from the 80s and the 90s, he's working with that club. So he, I guess Stefan will be training with that team. But he has been absolutely prolific this season. And as you said, he scored 10 goals in the league and that was in 12 matches. So he's been absolutely fantastic and it's a huge blow to, to lose him. So which player would likely come in for him now in the European games? I would reckon it would be Clement Olsen, the, the Faroe striker. 
he was like the, the best striker in the Faroes League last year, but his club got relegated. And he has such a strong ties to the club. He, he didn't consider any move to other Faroes club. And if he wanted to regain his spot in the Faroes national team, he had to move somewhere abroad to get regular minutes. So that's why he moved to Breidablik. Just looking at your squad, uh, I, I count 10 internationals, two from Faroe Islands, one, one you just mentioned there. Um, who will be your best players? Can you name a few who Rovers fans should watch out for who might be dangerous? Uh, for this season, Gisli Eyjolsson. He's the player number 11. He's a, a midfielder, attacking midfielder. He He's very good. And then I would also mention Damir Muminovic, who is our centre-back. He is also very good you know, for the defensive side. But honestly speaking, the defence has been struggling a little bit uh, this season. It's been conceding uh, a lot more goals than we did last year. So everything has to be like you know work together and and it is also a reason uh, for a rocky start to the season that most of our you know many of our established players were injured during the off season so their gradual process of you know regaining their spot and fitness has been slow but it's coming slowly but surely. So it was a 5-0 win over uh, Pogorica from Mont- Montenegro. Uh, just looking to highlight some lethal finishing for all five goals, but also some very bad defending on display. Yeah. You wouldn't expect Roberts to give up those chances easily. Uh, what did you think of that performance? Uh, was it encouraging for you going into the Roberts game, the 5-0? In, in a way, because we played this team last year in the Conference League. And last season, they were much better, much tougher. But from what I understand, they sold both of their wingers who were really pacey wingers. But the, the defending was atrocious, you know, by the, the Montenegro team. So uh, I wouldn't put too much judgment on, on that particular match because I think they, when it got we got to the third goal, they just like shut off. As for your manager, um, he spent his most of his career at KR Reykjavik, uh, former centre back who retired early because of injury at the at the age of just twenty five. Uh, I see he won three caps for Iceland as well. Uh, what formation does he like to play, and what sort of football does he have you guys playing? Uh, sometimes it's really hard to 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 see what kind of uh, formation he's playing, but usually it's with a back four, like a four three three. And then it uh, where where the 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 full backs you know come into the midfield and over crowded. Uh, he likes to play like a pressing football with a high defensive line, and he has been very successful in you know in the recent years. You know, in particular with our club, but also with his previous club Grotta, which is from Reykjavik, and he you know Grotta had like a it, it's such a small club that had zero budget, so he just invited young players to offer them experience to to get minutes, and he got them promoted like from from the third league to the second and the and the first, all in consecutive seasons. So his style of management is really impressive. And speaking of young players. Um... Club has large youth facilities as uh, a team built on homegrown talents. 
has produced the likes of uh, Goodmunds and the Burnley winger uh, Finn Bogson, who had a has had a good career in Holland, Spain, Denmark. So is that your kind of model to produce uh, talented young players like that? Yeah, and this is something we pride ourselves in. You know, like du- during our last um, match in the league, we had like ten homegrown players playing on the pitch, all the outfield players, except for the goalkeeper. You know. So this is what Breablik is is known for, and we export a lot of players abroad. So this is the the business model of the club, so to speak. And what's the sort of ownership model? Is there investment from an owner? And what sort of budget do you have to work with, say, compared to the other clubs from the Icelandic capital? Uh, well, on the Icelandic scale, we're fairly big. But it, the 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 club is just uh, owned by the by the town, really. You know, we just elect uh, a government body over the the club, and 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 it's there's no private ownership to this. It's just all mm-hmm. public. I was reading that a supporter, a former treasurer, who uh, he left the club two hundred million krona after his death. Uh, yeah. Mr. Mr. Oscarson, I think that worked out at about 1.3 million euro. Um, was that an incredible story, or were you not surprised based on his long-lasting connection to Breidablik? Uh I think everybody was surprised, but he had like a well, he asked to to have it split 50-50 between the the women's football team and then the men's football team. So it works, you know just to, to support the club. But it was a really beautiful story. Yeah. And it's been seven years since Euro 2016 when Iceland lit up the tournament, famously knocking England out. And then you reached the World Cup, of course, again in 2018. Have you, in, in those seven years, have the country seen improvements in infrastructure, coaching, facilities? And do you feel like the playing standard has gone up since then? Um. Not really. Uh, we had our, our golden generation, so to speak, that came up in 2016 and 2018 when we got, you know, when we knocked out England, which is like the pinnacle of Icelandic football history. <laughs> but and then also qualifying for the World Cup was a big, massive achievement. But uh, we had a problem with the drop off where the golden generation was, you know, some of the players are retiring and we didn't have like the players, young players coming in straight to, to fill up the gaps. And we also struggled with our former coach because he wanted to try a different style of playing, which didn't suit the Icelandic style, which is like, you know, like compact defending and then just try to get goals from, from set pieces. So uh, Kabovar, it's uh, the town is in the capital region, but it's a short distance south of uh, Reykjavik. Obviously, uh, the capital is it's a very popular popular tourist destination. Robbers were there actually six years ago to play Starnan. But describe your hometown, places to go, things to do for uh, Robbers fans who might be heading over. Uh, to do something in Kabovar. Yeah. Well, sorry to say, there's nothing much to see. Really, it's just it's a very residential area, and uh, uh, and yeah, I, I I don't honestly don't know what to say. But 
it's a very quiet town. Uh, the stadium is at uh, three thousand capacity. Is is the like you say it's a quiet town, but is the club popular in the town? Has a is a part of the community? And what sort of crowds do you draw for for home games? Just, yeah, it's just the local crowd, and and the the town itself only has two clubs, so like Preablik uh, occupies most of the the older settlements of the town, while while Hawkow the other one is like for the eastern part where all the new buildings are, are are being built so this is just like a family atmosphere around the club so it's mm-hmm. you know it's, there there are no hooligans so to speak <laughs> i see there's a running track around as well for uh, track and field events and you've had a, an artificial service since 2019 uh do you think it's a good pitch or players uh, in the league, happy with the service? Well, we have mixed emotions about the artificial pitches. Uh, the upside to it is that we're playing, uh, you, you get to play, you know, during the winter. Sometimes when the weather is cold but calm, you can you can still play football, you know, during winter time, which wasn't possible with the grass pitches. But before that, we still had the indoor pitches, but they were too dry because the we don't whack them so the the ball plays a little bit different so uh, the artificial pitch is it is different because uh, the ball plays faster but some like some of the Icelandic teams like to have the ones that have grass pitches they'll try to slow down the play by not cutting the grass and and so on mm. Yeah, we have our own problems with uh, artificial service in, in the league. But um, You guys reached the third qualifying round of the Commerce League in both 2021 and 2022. So you won two ties in both campaigns, most notably beating Austria-Vienna 3-2 mm-hmm. on aggregate two years ago. Was that seen as a really big win at the time over a club who have real European pedigree? Yeah, it, it was. It, it was a fantastic achievement. And uh, after we beat Austria win, we, we had to face Aberdeen from Scotland. And we were really upset that we didn't win Aberdeen because we felt we had like a fair chance of beating that club. But last year we did okay, but at finally Istanbul, Basak, Sehir were the ones to knock us out. And they got really far in the conference league, I think, on semifinals or quarterfinals or something. So, yeah. As for was... meetings between Icelandic and Irish clubs, uh, 13 meetings and the Irish club have gone through nine times and both Champions League meetings, Dundalk 2016, Shelburne 2004, two victories for Irish clubs. So what are your fans saying about Rovers? Did you see us as favourites or do you guys feel you have a decent chance of progressing? I think it's a really 50-50 toss-up, you know, but, th- but that's the feeling that I get because we're not as strong as we were last year, honestly speaking. So we tend to keep our expectations a little bit reserved. So uh, we expect a tough game and, and, and the Rovers to be really competitive. Would you guys know much about Irish teams or is it more so you're basing on the the strength of your own squad and previous European results? 
it's more more like that we're basing it from our own perspective you know we're not following basically the the irish league or anything but we do have the regular encounters with irish teams mm-hmm. they tend to go you know sometimes we win sometimes the irish teams wins so it's really hard to say it's just depending on the on the current form that that's our best indicator of of success uh, you support Chelsea as well. Uh, I noticed Eider Johnson is from the same town, Cobbavars. Is he run, one of the reasons you started supporting them? No, uh, actually, my, my personal thing with Chelsea is that uh, during the 90s, uh, I was, uh, Iceland was following the, the Italian league. So for me personally, uh, my favorite team in Italy was AC Milan. But when the, the Milan players went to Chelsea, like Ruth Gullit and Marcel Desai and George Vea, so that's why I started following Chelsea. Then when I Eder Guðjónsson came to the club, you know, that was just a bonus for us. But a lot of Icelanders started following Chelsea when he got there and mm-hmm. the rest is history. You may have noticed Shamrock Rovers played AC Milan uh, a few years ago as well. <laughs> we held our own actually in the Europa League. Um, how do you think Breda Blick will approach the first leg in Tada? Do you think they'd be happy with a draw or do you think they'll go there to actually bring a win back to Iceland? I think it would be happy with a draw, to be honest. But, you know, the, the club always plays to win. So we have high expectations of like reaching far into the competition. The The dream for every Icelandic club is to reach group stages of any European competition. So during this uh, champion's path that we're on, uh, in this case, like for example, if if we beat Shamrock Rovers this round, then we'll probably face FC Copenhagen, and FC Copenhagen is one of the strongest teams in Scandinavia. If we lose to them, then we'll fall off. You know, then we'll have a guaranteed playoff. You know, for the group stage in the Conference League, no matter how how it goes. Mm-hmm. So we have like a we're, we're always thinking about different scenarios. Yeah, that's the path that Rovers had last year. We lost in the Champions League second round, went into the uh, Europa League. We won that tie, so we guaranteed ourselves conference group stages. So obviously it's a good path when you win your first round. Um, How many do you think might travel to Dublin from uh, Bradeblick? Uh, at best, like a couple of hundred. Yeah. And finally, give us a score prediction for Dublin and a prediction for who will go through in, in uh, the tie. I would say it would be uh, score would be in, in in Dublin would be one one. I'm predicting a really tough even game, but I think we'll win the second leg two zero. So you're predicting the win for the Icelandics, right? Uh, Halfstein, thanks so much. Love the insight and uh, really nice to meet you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. So, Shazi, that was our, our chap from uh, Iceland telling us all about this club we're facing on uh, Tuesday. He'll be sacked from the tourism board anyway in the morning because he didn't build up uh, this town that we're going to. No, he, he didn't get excited about much now. Um, he wasn't too uh, too um, energetic there in that piece. But look, he, um, maybe he's quietly confident. And he's just he wants to see off rovers and get to the to the next round. But yeah, I wouldn't um 
I wouldn't be uh, wanting him giving me a, a guide around his local town. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, some interesting insight nonetheless. Uh, after hearing that, would you be more or less confident of the Hoops advancing? Um, well, he he kind of he supposed to play it down their chance a bit. Like he obviously said they ran away with the league last year, um, and he said they've struggled. And you know, you obviously pointed out there they've drawn four and lost. Was it drawn four and lost one? Last five two, yeah. Lost, yeah. So no, not great form coming into the into the game. And you know, he's mentioned that they've lost two of their best players. Um, the the some of the replacements that have come in haven't adapted to. Their, their way of things and he doesn't seem well he's fairly honest he doesn't seem best pleased with, with some of the signings and um, just looking at the, the, their you know their strikers top scorer in the league he's in form so you know if you can keep that man quiet judging by his confidence I would say um, Rovers should be okay over two legs look being at home first is great so um, if you can take full advantage of that then then you can go to to Iceland with a bit of an easier task well, the striker we spoke about who's leaving, that's the one who's top goal scorer, so we, we don't have to worry about him, thankfully. Oh, he's oh he's he's leaving. He's yeah. the one that's leaving. He's the okay, one. Okay, yeah. right. Okay, I'm sure. He's playing silent, though. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, so he supports Chelsea, AC Milan, Breidablik, and another club in the Icelandic second division. So he has more clubs than Justin Mason, this fella. Yeah, it's interesting, Ari. It's interesting. That was a mad story with the your man leaving the the what's it, two million or one point five million. It was the equivalent of for the for yeah, the club. yeah, yeah. That's a man. I think he was a well-known figure. Yeah, I think he was like involved in the club somehow since nineteen thirty-five, going way back. He was a treasurer, and he was involved in the foundation of the of the league and everything. And he was yeah. obviously a big fan of, of the club, yeah. Imagine imagine leaving that amount of cash in, in your will. I'd be all right, fairness, but yeah, no, I'd be I'd be fairly confident of the Rover sign going over anyway, so um we shall see what happens. Yeah, well I deliberately mentioned Justin Mason there to uh provoke Galway memories out of you. Uh looks like they're coming back to the Premier Division. They're running away with the first division. They were Kerry were away to them last week. Kerry were sixty to one, which is extraordinary odds to see for any league of Ireland match. But um, yeah, and I saw I saw the week before that Longford were away to them. They were they got up to fifty to one, um, at, at one point, and I was I saw Kerry and were playing. And I I saw that they were they were mad price again, but while it only ended up one nil, wasn't it? It was only one nil, and Longford had beaten Galway earlier in the season. Yeah. It's their only it's always only game to lose was, was Longford. That's right, yeah, yeah. That's um, Man, so. you'd have to have a few ball, but like just stick a fiver on that. Like it could be the handiest three hundred quid you ever made if you if Kerry pulled off something. But luck wasn't to be. But yeah, I think Galway will be will be back amongst the, the, the big boys next season. So I might have to make a return to the Premier Division for that. For a season. Yeah, so let's talk about Iceland. Uh, we've secured uh, the Dubliner, a deal with them in uh, Reykjavik, and similar to what we how we had in 2017. So happy era would be six euro for a beer. Uh, so we're back in the old hunting spot, the Dubliner. There was actually a shooting there a few months ago, would you believe? Thankfully, no one was uh, killed now. It was the 
couple of people were injured, but it was a crazy headline to see a shooting in a pub in in the Icelandic capital. Um, so Sternan, twenty seventeen, Shazi, you scored the winning goal. What do you remember from the day? Um, what do I remember from the day? Like, be honest with you, Prof. Right, the European trips are for a player just very, very boring. And it's it's it. There's nothing exciting about the European. All, all we all we did was we we got up. I was rooming with Sean Boyd. You get up, you know, you have it on the sh- on the board the night before. You get up, you get your you get your breakfast, and then kind of mid morning the team goes for a walk. And I remember we went up to some kind of like kind of viewing point. I don't want to don't know what it was called, but it was some kind of viewing point you could go in. It was kind of like a museum. It wasn't open at, um, at the time, but you could go up and see kind of a decent view of the place. And then we came back down, and then you're you're in for your lunch, back to your room. You're back down early for your couple of strappings or massages or whatever lads want. And then you're on the bus, and we we're only I think we we're only five or ten minutes away from the ground. Um, now look, it wasn't a spectacular place. Um, it was it was um, there's plenty of grounds in, in in the league that are in better order than that place. Again, another probably dodgy Astro. Remember the balls they had were absolute rocks. I just remember that been rock solid, um, and then obviously yeah the game game was obviously a tight enough game. Um, Tomer, our Canadian superstar, um, had a had a great game, and then yeah it was just before half time or not too long before, we picked up a second ball um, from the corner and and managed to toe poke at home, um, which was a uh, which was great great feeling. Um, you know, I always wanted to score in Europe and I managed to, to pull it off. I don't know, I, I always wanted to get the, the footage back, I, I actually. So there was like a, like not a running track around it. Was it, was it a running track or was it was, there was concrete anyway. I remember there was concrete off the grass and it was very, very, maybe a yard or two off the grass. There was concrete. And in the second half, I remember sprinting for a ball. So in front of the Rovers fan, you probably don't remember, you're probably all 10 points in. But uh, I remember I sprinted down the line in front of the row or something. I went to try and keep a ball in and I whipped it in. But I kept with my momentum. I kept going and my two feet hit the concrete and I just slid for about five, ten yards right <laughs> on my arse, on, on, my, on my back. And my whole back was destroyed, like scraped, destroyed. And I remember I was lying on the deck and Tony Mack, the physio, had to come over to me. And he was just... <laughs> He was coming over to help me, but he said he couldn't stop laughing because he was just, because I'd absolutely buckle myself because I was watching the ball completely oblivious to this concrete patch that was coming and just went flying with boots. As soon as my boots hit the hit the concrete, I just went sliding and destroyed myself. I'll never forget the pain after, but like look, the, the adrenaline got me through it at the at the time. But I remember trying to go to bed that night and sitting on the plane. I remember we got the plane back that that evening. I remember sitting back and my back was destroyed from the scrapes on the concrete. I remember giving you an old high five on the on the charter back. Little did I know you were in extreme pain at the time. But extreme, uh, excruciating pain. But anyway, look, <laughs> the, the goal and the win um, made it feel a bit better. Yeah, never mind the goal. We need footage of this this moment. This is I know, because I'm trying to think. I was trying to think with the camera. The camera was on the on the proper side. It was on the opposite side to you, so... If you got the camera footage of the second half and me whipping that ball, and you probably seen me just out of corner shot going sliding across. 
But anyway, yeah. we might dig through the archives if we can with Starnan's um, crew and see if we can get it. But uh, yeah, that was something I'll never forget. And Jesus Christ, those guys. I've interviewed uh, Dave Webster for the programme this week. He's taken partial credit for this goal. Apparently he blocked a defender or something during the corner. Yeah, he just got in the way. Just a <laughs> nuisance of himself, like he normally would. Just a big nuisance, that fella. And my uh, man, he kind of, it kind of nearly locked eyes at Webby and just, you know, this is your moment and go go take it. I'll stay out of the way for you. And it all just happened so quick and that was it. So, and um, no. give him a bit of credit I suppose I know you two are still pals aren't you like you call him the funniest man you've ever met what does he, what does he, how does he crack you up he just he's just the way he goes on he's he loves loves his Guinness and um, we just had a great time together and just laughed at the same things um, and we had a when we were with Pat we had a great relationship with uh, with Harry Kenny um, and to this day like we still laugh at some of the stuff that H would come out with. Like obviously I was texting Harry, he was up at the, the game in, in against Derry at Rovers and um I had a friend who was on a plane um there a couple of weeks back to Portugal and he says uh there was this outfit <laughs> this outfit like on the plane. They had their their guy had like no idea but said this outfit like on the plane and come down the aisle anyway and he got up then uh out of the sea and he says uh he gives the curly finger to one of the air hostesses and he says, Here you, did you take my fucking bag out of this, uh, the overhead cabin? Did you take my fucking bag out of here? And he's, your mom was like, No, no, sir, no, no, I did not, I did not. And he was like, You fucking better not, because I would have boxed your bleeding head in. And uh, <laughs> subsequently found out it was Harry Kenny. And uh, I, um, I was on Snapchat, I was texting my friend about it, and he said they got talking, Oh, we know. We're best friends with Gary Shaw, blah, blah, and H was ripping into me. But um, I, I said to your man, it's like, listen, I need to screenshot this. I need to send this to, to one of my friends. And it was Webby. I had to, I had to tell him, I had to show him this conversation and send him on the voice note that my friend sent to me. Just to, and Webby just sent back bundles of laughing faces and just, <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was a great moment. And it was just typical the banter that me and him would have. Gas. Yeah, so we got four survivors from Starnan. We got Pico, Berkey, Finn, and Trevor Clark. Obviously, Trev and Berkey went away and came back again. Interestingly, it was the League of Ireland's 100th win in European competition that night. Uh, it was Rovers' first away win since Bill Grade six years earlier. So, a couple of milestones there. Um, from a personal point of view, some great memories of Iceland. It was me and Gareth's first trip uh, together. Uh, he remembers something the other day actually when we got the taxi over to the ground taxi driver had a sheep's head with him in the boot for his dinner wow that's oh. some sort of delicacy I think so yeah I, I think he called it haggis any, any uh, invitation after the game right? no you didn't get an invite over to his house for the, for the sheep's head no no we didn't we were uh, pretty disturbed at that point and we just wanted to go and watch football <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. And then the second leg, it was good then, wasn't it, to go and win again, uh, finish the job in aggregate and, and uh, set up Milada Boleslav. Yeah, it was, a, it was an early goal, wasn't it? Berkey scored an early goal and that was that. Tidy, yeah. wrapped up. And then Milada Boleslav, yeah. Berkey's wonder goal. So, Rowers are your local club. 
in Newbridge these days, Charles. You still try and get down on Fridays when you can. And you're young, but it was a mascot at a home game a few months ago. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Ever since the uh, Clare County went went uh, went bust, Rovers have are, are I suppose as the crow flies, my my local league of Ireland club. So, um, yeah, Max Max turned six there um, in February. So he um, big football fan now, and we got him. Finner was great. He Finner got him down as mascot. Uh, for the Shells game and um, so a nice entertaining game um, in fairness and uh, loved life Lee uh, Finner was injured on the on the night but uh, Lee Lee walked out with him and uh, it was the TV cameras were there as well RT uh, showed the game so um, we have the recording there and the, the little fella loves um, loves watching the back walking out onto the pitch with, with, with Lee and a great memory for him and he's he's looking forward to going back so we'll definitely get him get him back up there when we can yeah like I say your local club until Kildare County FC come back I see I see Mayo FC have been established but still still no Kildare representation in the League of Ireland sadly so yeah I saw a tweet actually today or was it yesterday that they were doing like as the um, from the census in 2022 or whatever it was the largest towns Without a League of Ireland club, and Newbridge was was like third in the list. Um, I think Swords was top, but Newbridge was third in the list. So twenty five thousand people in Newbridge. So they have they have the underage set up. The um, what are they called? The, they're Kildare, whatever. Um, and they're in the the thirteenth, fifteenth, and seventeenth. So I think there is rumours going around that they will go for a, a senior side at some point. So. Um, watch this space. And just to finish off, it's been some week for controversies. We have Robbie Keane going to Israel and he says he doesn't want to talk the politics. We have uh, the RTE scandals, which some mad stuff coming out. Someone made a tweet saying that uh, 2019 League of Ireland weekly highlight show was cancelled to it for, this is how they described it at the time, because of well-documented financial concerns. And in the same year, RT spent two hundred and fifty thousand euro on rugby tickets, travel, and hotel to bring clients over to games. Absolutely mental, wild stuff. Absolutely wild. I've never been so bet into the Iraq this last week in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, since Delaney, I'm sure, and is stonewalling every question. Yeah, he put in a great performance that day. So, will you be paying your TV license anymore, Shazzy? Going to cancel that direct debit now. <laughs> Thirteen thirty-three is gone. I love how they don't know how much they're paid. Your man, like he has to spend <laughs> ten minutes thinking about it. That's just that's just wild. That's just you know asking how much he is and deflecting it firstly, and then he's saying he's not sure. Like what a lot of what a lot of shite. Honestly. And then oh yeah, and a car as well. Yeah, oh, I forgot about that. Like get real, honestly. So that's it. Yeah, Shazi, episode two hundred and fifty coming up. Uh I know you've fallen a bit behind lately. So I won't ask you about recent events, but uh, anything this year on Tifty as you've liked as we approach our uh our, our landmark show. I don't know. I don't know like is there anything in particular, but it's 
I, I always I always remember back I, I remember listening back to your first couple of uh, podcasts and I remember I was um I was the talk of the first I'm gonna say first one or second one because I got sent down to Kilkenny to play <laughs> yeah. with the kids. To play you with thought the you were kids. being punished, yeah. Yeah, no one knew why why is Kershaw getting sent down with all these seventeen year olds? Um because I was actually having Max who obviously that I just mentioned and Max has been born so I missed a chunk of pre-season because the lads went away and then they came back and a couple of days later was that Lancet Senior Cup game but um, that was, was always I always have a, a gas memory of that first one but to think you've uh, had you know 250 episodes nearly done and in the bank you've um, you've done alright in fairness you've had some I'd say going back now you've had some great great moments and memories you'll have to put together some sort of prof's best bits over the last <laughs> what is it six years six years of podcasting six years yeah yeah i'm sure you have some some standout memories your your end your i always loved your end of season your end of season uh mates they were all they're always very good they get a bit get a bit wild yeah we haven't done that in a while actually obviously because in Colwood we didn't do the, the live yeah, yeah. shows but Especially if we do win the league, we'll have to think of something special. But it's just that it's been, it's been sort of replaced by the player of the year nights now. Because we had one in the yeah, four yeah. provinces, and then we had one in Niffy Valley. So they're not, they're not really, unless someone else is willing to, to try and do it, they're not really recordable as a normal podcast. So they become like a separate event. So, But if we do four in a row, yeah, I think we should do some sort of mad fan audience show in... Johnny Blues or Four Provinces or, or something. Yeah, I'm sure you get the crowd for a nice old live show there. Get a few people involved. Right, that's it, Gary. Um, you've you've got a third third kid on the way. That's why you uh, that's why we did the Zoom today. We, we couldn't ask you to to drive out from Newbridge. So, uh, no thanks a million for joining us. Uh, hopefully, we can replicate Starn on 2017. So, yeah, cheers. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Mill Prof. Look forward to listening. So we're back with Adam. Back in the lair. Great stuff from Gary Shaw. Friend of the show. A great servant to the club. He's a few times he's been on the podcast. Like yourself, Al. Mm. Two is. I'm big fans of both yours. Uh, just some quick notes. Uh, the women's team. We did secure a stream in the end, actually. In Gantorin. Uh, and they secured a good win out there. 3-2 in Gantorin. In East Belfast. Brilliant results. Uh, a brace for teenager Shannon Cody, first being a great body, and there's one goal from Melissa O'Kane, her first goal for the club. Uh, wasn't enough, unfortunately, to qualify from the All Ireland group. Six points wasn't enough because Wexford topped it on seven. Ourselves got six, Glentoran four, P Mount zero. So Cliftonville, Cork, Wexford, Galway made it to the semi finals. That's it now for the girls until August in the FEI Cup. World Cup begins on July. 20th it was actually a lovely interview I don't know if you saw with Abby Larkin talking about her and her parents crying when she was told she made the squad it was a fantastic interview her and Anya Garman are Brisbane bound uh, would you check out the, the World Cup oh absolutely on? absolutely yeah, I've, been, I've been watching it I've been following the games certainly um, and her interviews particularly after the goal that they when they won in Scotland after the big tragedy up in Dundalk at the time, such an articulate young lady. And what a player. What a player as well. And the goal she got in Tala there the other week, 
two goals, but the second goal was it was pure class. Now I'll be following it, and I have four granddaughters, and I'll have them five granddaughters. I'll have them all glued to the telly as well. <laughs> I think it's just magnificent what they are doing for for women's football in the country and for women's sport in general. I think it's a great showcase, and uh, yeah, we'll be rooting for them definitely. And just a quick recap of the academy: the Robbers 19s won 4-2 at UCD. The 17s lost 3-3-0 at home to UCD. 15s 5-3 winners against Cork at Rolestone. 14s beat Shelburne 6-0 also at Rolestone. Uh, Glenmalore Robbers. I don't know if you're familiar with this. This is the no. supporters club. Okay. Uh, was there a supporters club? In the four in a row years there was. There was a fans team. And there was actually a great story. We had him in here. A man named Robbie Murphy. I know. I know Robbie well. Yeah. I know Robbie very well. Went to school, he went to school with Dermot. Uh, so I know him from school. He's a, a good Northsider too. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, Carl. Um, but a, a great Rover supporter and has been all his life. So I, I know Robbie very well. I think it was 1985, a friendly in Newbridge. So so the Rovers' first team played a friendly in Newbridge. But they were down one player. So they went over to the fans and they asked, does anyone want to jump in? And the whack, unfortunately, had suffered an injury, so he wasn't available. So up stepped Robbie Murphy. So Robbie got to play in the four in a row team. It was a great story. Well, he told me that. I met him last year at one stage <laughs> and he actually told me that story. That Did you know he played for the four in a row team? <laughs> so that's, I have to say, I didn't know that, Rob, but I take your word for it. And then yeah. you've just confirmed, for it, confirmed it, Carl. So the new era of uh, Rovers fans teams and it's, it's Glenmore Rovers. So just announced that they're back in training. Came back last Thursday after a very short off season. I think it was only a few weeks, which is incredible to be back already because they got the two cup finals, which was a great achievement. But they're back in again now. So that's Glenmore Rovers. So now it's time for our starting elevens and predictions. <laughs> So we're playing Drogheda away first and then Bradablick on the Tuesday. So really I'm I'm picking my European eleven here. And I don't know, ideally they'd play both games. I mean they're what are they four days apart, but I'd like to see the team eleven playing both. Brazil generally doesn't do that, he, he rotates, but here's a team I would like to see start. Assuming that Alamanis, uh Trevor Clark and Ferugia aren't available. So my eleven is Pauls, Cavo, Pigo, Sean Hoare, Lee Grace, Ronan Finn. That's my five. Gary O'Neill, Marcus Poom, Jack Byrne, Rory Gaffney and Graham Burke. That's the team. Maybe Harrison Johnny Kenny didn't have a great game in Dundalk, but no one had a great game in Dundalk, to be honest. So that's my eleven. Uh what do you think of that Al? I think the, the 11 players that, that Rovers put out every week, there's always four or five who you think, why isn't he playing? Why isn't he playing? <laughs> you know, and your Johnny Kenny is, is one that's yeah. to mind. The squad, you know, it's 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 down to Bradzer, as you say. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't go against what you said. I wouldn't go against what you said. Yeah, like I'm leaving out Watts there. Bert has only featured sporadically. Yeah. So I, I couldn't see him starting. Um. Yeah, other than that, maybe Cleary, you could say, could be harsh on him. But now that's the team I'm gone with for a score prediction. Now, Drogheda, you'll have heard in the quiz earlier, just gone. 
We haven't beaten Drogheda in any of our last five league matches. Did beat them out in the cup an extra time. So that's our only win in six competitive matches there. Bit of a bogey club, but surely to God this has to end somehow. <laughs> somehow. So I'm saying a 2-0 win. That's my prediction. What's your score prediction? <laughs> As you say, like Kevin Doherty has done an absolutely unbelievable job with Petrada. With the resources he had, the money he's had. And to, to do to get some of the rules he has gotten, and particularly the last one up in Tala, um, I still can't see Rovers being beaten. I think they might have got a kick in the backside from their uh, from Drogheda's County Loud neighbours last week. <laughs> so I'd fancy Rovers 2-0. Yeah, 2-0. I'd go with that. And in the first leg in the Champions League, are you confident of a win? <laughs> I would rather say as long as they don't lose as long as they don't lose out there um, again it's an unknown quantity you don't know who you're playing against you don't know their stand you do know the standard of Icelandic football has improved over the last number of years it's going to be a big challenge it's going to be a big challenge so uh, to say a one you, we'll win I don't know uh, as long as we don't lose that's what I would say yeah and as we know the UA goals rule no longer that's in gone. effect um, yeah Brazzer has bigged them up uh, quite a bit you could say you'd expect him to do that maybe he's trying to put pressure on them a little bit he's compared them to Flora Tallinn from two years ago who yeah. knocked us out he says they're a very very good side and you've heard from the the Bradabic fan there earlier he says well he's predicted a win but a narrow win and uh, like he said he's he's worried about their defence they says they're leaking too many goals and hopefully, they have, yeah, yeah, hopefully and, that comes to fruition. And they've lost important players. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think the general feeling is if this had been Bredebuk last year, we should be very, very worried. But they seem to have lost two or three important players since that league winning side. Yeah, yeah um, as I say, I, I mean, don't lose over there. I think as long as I come back. Or we're home in the first leg now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Well, yeah. We have to build up. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Totally a wrong track there. No, we need to win. We need to win on yeah. uh, next week. We need to bring something over to Iceland. Right. Um, and I think with the, the support at Tala, the support that they generate, um, I would fully expect, yeah, one. I'd like a 2-0 result. I'd like at least 2-0. Just on Andrade and bogey clubs, did you ever feel like you had a bogey club at, at any team? Uh, Rovers or... Not really, no. I don't remember. I mean, how? I mean, you do hear these stories. Remember, it was at United and over in in England. United always do well against Tottenham for some reason. Always beat Tottenham on a regular basis. I don't know why it is. Um, there's no reason for it. But like Drogheda will have no fear. They certainly will have no fear with with, with the statistics that you produced. Having one of the last six, what have we got to fear here? So it's going to be it's going to be a, a tough game, but I would still expect mm. the hoops to come out on top. Yeah, they have Jada have lost uh, Draper, who was so impressive in Tala when he scored that goal. Yeah, and he buddied Pico Lopez. Thankfully, he's gone back to Lincoln. So maybe without him and their that focal point of attack, hopefully yeah, they're yeah, they're weaker. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see people in the windmill. Hopefully, the ground besides, uh, or sorry, the pub beside the ground. Uh, it's usually jammers, so get in there early. Uh, I'm on the Wack Express, which you know well, Al. <laughs> Absolutely. What uh, an experience that was. <laughs> was, that, was that your only time? The one to Waterford? Yeah, the only one to yeah. Waterford. The Wack Express, yeah. Myself and Old Cinema <clears throat> and that. Great experience, yeah. great trip down, great crack. Yeah, really enjoyed it. 
I remember because we had Robbie and Noel on the podcast. So Robbie is a regular on the bus anyway. But I invited Noel on because he was in the podcast. And then I said it to you. I said, oh, guess who's on the bus with me? Yeah. I said, I said, Robbie oh, and Noel. And you said, Carl, room for one more? <laughs> I said, absolutely, there's room for Alan the O'Neill. <laughs> 100% there's room for Alan O'Neill on the bus. And I have a quick start. Actually, Brazzer, in his managerial reign, is currently on 498 goals. So that could be a bit of a celebration here. If we get two goals, somebody could get the, the big 500 in uh, whatever it's called. I think it's called Weaver's Park now. It's gone, yeah, through, it's gone yeah. through many a name. Yeah, Weaver's Park. I don't know where that came from. Yeah. United Park. It was Hunky Dory Park. It was Head in the Game Park. It was Lord Stadium. Lord was Stadium. Before your time. Yeah. Yeah. Was that seventies or eighties? That was seventies. Yeah. Yeah. Lord Stadium. It was O2 Park as well. It was a lot of names. Yeah. Next week we have uh, another in studio guest. We've uh, a number of shows in a row now where we've had in studio guests. We had Con Murphy who was here interviewing myself and Gar so we were on the other side of the <laughs> microphone we had John Byrne and Martin Moore you know John we well do don't know you John well yeah that was a 70s special we did down the road in the four provinces pub so we we went through the whole 70s because they were young they were yeah. uh, 10 so we kind of yeah. got to listen to them grow up and Big watch Deck was around then too yeah he certainly was so that was a good show it was part two and we had Dan Fulham like I said last week we had yourself and next week I'm going to have McDerra Ferris because McDerra, uh, it's both a celebration of the 250th episode of the podcast and it's another landmark. And the day we're going to record that on Wednesday is exactly 10 years to the day that me and McDerra launched the book Tala Time. So we've coincided these two events quite well here. And Al, I promise to give you a copy before you go. So there you go. Thank you so much. Never had the privilege of playing in Tala. I had the privilege of playing in Milltown, which was uh, a real privilege. Um, played the RDS, but never never played in Tala. So thanks very much for that, Carl. You're quite welcome. I'll get the free copy because you're a gentleman <laughs> and a legend. The rest of you, you're going to have to, if you don't have it yet, it's been 10 years, you're going to have to earn it now. And we're going to do a couple of competitions so you're going to have to be smart and get the questions right to, to win some free copies. And finally, last thing before we go. Speaking of anniversaries, we have the 50th anniversary of the Ireland, uh, All-Ireland 11, the Pay yeah, Brazil. Yeah, on uh, 50 years ago today, um, the All-Ireland 11 under, it was organised by a name that wouldn't be spoken with a great deal of love. Uh, Kilcoyne, it was organised by Louis, but I have to say in Louis' defence, he'd done an awful lot for players, for League of Ireland players, and in this instance he was instrumental in setting up an All-Ireland level, uh, 11 under with Derek Dugan, who organised the Northern Lads, and Johnny Giles, who was an in-law of Louis, organised the Republic Lads, and they took on Brazil in Lansdowne Road. I was at the match. I was 16 years of age. I remember going to the match. Incredible experience and incredible entertainment. It was, we were beaten, we were beaten 4-3. Um, but uh, what, a, what an occasion. And I do remember that the following season, that would have been 73. I joined Rovers in 73 as a 16 year old. The youths 
uh, and I do remember some of the jerseys from the Irish 11. I actually got the goalkeeper's jersey. I don't have, still have it, but I did get it, the goalkeeper's jersey for training the following season. Now, it would have been a collector's item now, but I do remember it was a red jersey. Pat Jennings wore it. Um, but, uh, yeah, Paddy Mulligan would have played, and I, I think Paddy is doing some uh, some podcasts elsewhere in the city tonight to celebrate that 50 years Uh Great players, Johnny Giles, a uh, good friend of mine, Don Givens, was playing Terry Conroy, Paddy. And then from the north, Martin O'Neill played, uh, Derek Dugan, Pat Jennings. Yeah, it was a great occasion. and I suppose it was hoped at that stage, what were the possibilities of having an All-Ireland eleven? But uh, I think there's too much politics and too much history still to, to, to be um, crossed before we ever get near that again. But a uh, great, great occasion history in the making it was so that's it we'll be back Friday after the Champions League first leg not Thursday uh, it's quite difficult to get everything done we play on the Tuesday and it's going to be a long one because Gary will be back from holidays and he'll be dying to talk after two weeks no doubt so we'll have two games to review we'll have an interview with Desi Baker we'll have some reminiscing on, on Tata Time the book potentially the longest episode of all time so fair warning but you'll have three or four days to listen to it before you fly out to Reykjavik. So you can you can break it up or whatever you want to do. What do you think is the the longest ever episode we did oh, in hours and minutes? The way you talk, Carl, now, I'd say, and if you had <laughs> Gaffney on telling a few stories, I'd say it could be three hours. Gaffney and Sinnott were, I think they were three hours. Yeah. They are now. But no, that wasn't the record. The record was four and a half with <laughs> Tony Cousins and Mark Kenny. <laughs> Two lads who can yeah. certainly talk, both of them. Yeah. Two good lads. You signed them, didn't you, in 96? I, I, did, I didn't sign go. Mark, I signed Tony. Oh, okay. <laughs> signed Tony. <laughs> uh, the second longest was Derek Tracy and Tony O'Dowd, four hours. And Darrow scored the first goal of your reign in back in 96. So, a great player, Derek. A great Rovers man, too. Rovers, true and true. Yeah, so we see if we smash that record, it's going to be a long show. <laughs> the best of luck, Carl. <laughs> and the best of luck of you lads, I'd say space it out. Definitely space it out. So that's it. Thanks to Hafstein. Uh, I think I butchered his name earlier when I talked to him, the gentleman from uh, Iceland. Thanks to Gary Shaw and thanks to the man here, Alan O'Neill. Absolute gentleman. Drove out to me from the north side on a Monday evening. Uh, he, he had no right, no right to ask him, but he came over anyway. So thanks a million now. Cheers. Always a pleasure, Carl. Always a pleasure. It's a